Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Out, Bruce Pritchard. Well, not really. It's a remix of one of our more controversial episodes from season one of Something to Wrestle. The Montreal Screwjob. Boy, I remember when this one happened. I think um, Bruce Mitchell listened and then told Dave Meltzer, hey, whatever you do, don't listen to that new Bruce Pritchard show about the Screwjob. Dave tweeted something like that. And man, all of a sudden, uh, something to wrestle and the Wrestling Observer were on each other's radar. Uh, of course, the original plan was to be talking about Survivor Series 1996 today. We will be talking about that next week. Bruce was unavailable to record this week, and that will make sense soon enough. Bruce likes to be a pretty private person, but he's always pretty open and honest with you guys here on the show. But it's his story to tell, not mine. So stay tuned, boys and girls. But let me just say everybody's okay. Let's not have the rumor and innuendo. Say that Bruce is not okay. Everybody's all right. But this show is going to be more than all right today because we're not just doing a replay. Yes, you're still going to hear the Montreal discussion from Bruce and I from 2016. But I'm so excited for you to hear brand new content. We've got a few minutes with Mike Kyoto that was lifted off of our Monday mailbag show over at adfreeshows.com. We had one of our subscribers ask Mike Kyoto about the screw job and Kyoto reveals something that I don't think anybody's ever heard before, but then for the first time ever in long form, Gerald Briscoe tells exactly what happened, what his involvement was in the screw job. When he knew he addresses the rumor and innuendo that he went to Sean's room to teach him how to protect himself. We talk about the fallout, his relationship with Pat, every angle in super granular detail, as Jeff Jarrett would say, I picked up the horn and talked to Briscoe for what I thought would be 15 minutes. It was nearly an hour and a half. Now I know a lot of you are thinking, what else is there to talk about, about Montreal? And listen, I understand. It feels as if this story has been dissected and told from a hundred different angles and perspectives, but we've never really heard it from Briscoe and considering what we know happened and what we saw that night as fans, Briscoe had a role. He was one of Vince's right-hand men. And when it came time for, well, the deed to be done, he tapped Briscoe. So you're going to hear his full story today for the very first time. At the end of our remix, so you can hear the perspective from Bruce Pritchard, you'll hear a quick little note that maybe you've never heard before from Kyoto, and then you're going to hear the entire story directly from Jerry Briscoe. I want to mention Briscoe and Bradshaw have a brand new podcast called Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. You can follow them on Twitter at Briscoe Bradshaw, but my favorite thing to recommend is that you check them out on YouTube. 
And that's pretty easy to, uh, to pin down. You want to look for stories on youtube.com. That's right. Just throw it in your machine right now. Stories on youtube.com and you'll get the Briscoe and Bradshaw show. They've got guests every single week right now. If you go check out stories on youtube.com, you'll see an interview with Jerry Lawler. You'll see one with the Godfather. You'll see one with Kyoto. You'll see one with Ron Simmons. You're going to hear an incredible story about Pat Patterson on and on and on. It's all at stories on youtube.com. And man, I can't thank Briscoe and Bradshaw enough for the opportunity for Briscoe to come on our show here and just talk and just tell his story. And man, it was cathartic. There was a, a, there's a long stretch in there where I don't say a word. I mean, probably 20 minutes where you don't hear me even utter a single syllable, but Briscoe was on a roll, man. He was cleansing his soul and just telling everything there is to tell about Montreal. So it's a very special remix episode here on something to wrestle. You're going to hear the retro 2016 discussion about Montreal. We'll hear a quick little clip from Kyoto. And then we'll wrap it up with Briscoe. You're going to love it. Stay tuned, boys and girls. Yes, it's more of the story we've all heard, but you've heard it from the outside looking in, and you're going to hear it today, really for the first time from the inside looking out. It's the Montreal screw job. Don't forget Gerald Briscoe at the end. Without further ado, let's get to it. It's something to wrestle with. Remix about Montreal. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you are listening to Something to Wrestle With, the man who makes it all possible, Mr. Bruce Pritchard. What's going on today, man? Man, I am fired up and ready to go. I, we, we got a poll this week, man. We got a lot of feedback on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We got Nobody really cares what the hell I have to say about Monday Night Raw, TNA, or SmackDown. So we're, we're following the feedback, and we're scrapping that, and we're going to get right into the main event, What Happened When?, you heard Bruce reference it. We're actually suggesting that you, you get to program the show. How fun is that? That's a little revolutionary for you in the podcast land. Every week, we're going to throw up a poll on our official Twitter account. It's at Pritchard show, and uh, you'll have an opportunity to kind of shape the show. What are we going to talk about that week? You get to decide. It doesn't get more fun than that. So throw us a follow on at Pritchard show. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really does help. And now let's get into it. What you picked this week. What happened when the Montreal Screwjob went down in November of 97? And Bruce, when we start to talk about this, you know, this has probably been covered to death, but not by a lot of folks who were there for the whole thing as it happened. Uh, There's been lots of speculation and pieces but now we're going to get the perspective from you, from someone who was known Brett for a long time, booked Brett for a long time, and then was there in the aftermath. So I kind of want to go back to 1996 before we really get into Montreal, because I feel like that's where a lot of the groundwork was laid for this. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. But when when we put up, we were going to talk about Montreal. I wanted to talk about the smoked meat and the hot dogs and well, it turns out that's not what everybody uh, took to Damn, me in I'm there. confused. So we could talk about Pat Patterson, I guess. He's from Montreal. He is from Montreal. Montreal's most famous citizen, by God. Well, instead, we're going to talk about Bret Hart. Okay. Uh, I think that's what everybody really wants to talk about. And, and I'm kind of like, I, we had some feedback on Twitter. What else can you say? But you do have some interesting perspective because you were there uh, for a lot of the contract stuff and a lot of storyline stuff and a lot of the aftermath, so to speak. And really... Uh, it is responsible for catapulting, in my opinion, 
the attitude era. And so, uh, before we cover a whole lot of attitude era stuff, why not go ahead and cover what really kicked it off? And that is Montreal. So let's go to 1996, uh, post WrestleMania 12. When you guys went into WrestleMania 12, you knew the finish was going to be overtime. You knew it was going to be Shawn Michaels. You knew he was going to be the new flag bearer for the company. Uh, but Brett was still booked on, was it a European tour or a middle Eastern tour that he still made dates on after that. But what was his obligation as far as your recollection goes? Brett was with us. I mean, Brett, Brett was committed, Brett. There were big time plans for Brett after WrestleMania 12. What were they? Do you recall? Well, yeah, to work with Sean and, and do a lot of the things that we did uh, throughout the summer and continue to build and continue to build for the future and move on. The But that didn't happen in 96. Like, you know, he, he left for a while. And he left for a while. That was planned. For Lonesome Dove or just time off or a combination? It, it was time off. Brett had been, been running hard and Brett had asked for some time off. And what better time? And, and frankly, you know, you go back to work shoots and right. so on and so forth. There was, uh, we followed Brett all the way out. When he or, jumped in the car and the whole deal. You know, and he came through and, and I'm standing there and go, hey, good match, brother, which I caught hell for. But, uh, you well, know, Brett well, why would you catch hell for that? Say, brother? Yeah, I, you know, events. Oh, God damn, pal. But because, <laughs> the, because the boys say brother or because no, you were trying just, to get your shit just, in and say no, brother? No, it wasn't. It just, I caught shit for everything. But it was one of those things where that was Brett's idea. Brett's whole thing was, let me leave. Have everybody, you know, if everybody backstage is talking, oh, Brett was pissed off he had to drop the title. Brett was upset so Brett when he So Brett kind of wanted to work the boys a little. Without a doubt, 100%. Okay. And okay. it was, and that was Brett's idea. Okay. And the idea behind it was Brett was going away. Going to take some time off, do some different things. So in his absence, let the talent, which you're going to do anyway, they're going to gossip and feed yeah. upon themselves. So give them something to talk about. And Brett was going off to do other things at the time and take some time off. He wasn't going to be talking to anyone that wasn't family. So... What better time to do it? Am I making this up? I feel like memory serves probably. Uh, he worked uh, a match with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin at the time, just Steve Austin, I he believe. Who? Bret Hart. Okay. In the summer sure. of '96, I think it was in Kuwait. Would that would that have been? I know you guys did a video release of uh, a tour over there, but it seems like that was kind of a one-off. The uh, tour may. You know what? I, and again, I don't know specifically. Sure. I don't remember, but. I believe it was a situation where the Kuwaiti tour had been booked in advance and Brett was one of the talent that had been promised so on that tour. So that's probably why if he wasn't working domestically and wasn't a part yeah. of things, why Brett was a part of that. So uh, carry me through this. I'm curious about the business aspect of that. When you're saying that's a talent that was promised, I'm of the impression that a lot of the overseas shows are often sold shows. Could you kind of explain what that means to some of our listeners? Well, some were and some weren't. And there was a period in the business where we would go overseas and we would go different places where they would purchase the shows. They would say, hey, I want to do six shows X amount per night. And then they pay and, and a promoter. Is a promoter, yes. Yeah. Okay. So we would pre-sell the shows. So if... The and they would cover travel, hotel. They, co they everything. covered everything. Okay, they covered everything. So we didn't have to worry about 
if we sold 1,000 tickets or if we sold 10,000 tickets. Do you remember uh, one in particular, one of these sold shows that was just an absolute disaster? Like, not for you guys, because you guys got your money, but I mean, in terms of the promoter taking a bath. No, not really. Um, I remember that there were times in some of the Middle Eastern countries where they would bring us in and they would want to have multiple shows in the same arena, uh, multiple nights back to back. And the deal was, was it was for a very select group of people. Okay. So you're performing in a building that holds maybe five, 10,000 people. And it's only, there's only a thousand people there. Mm. Now, of course, you know, there are probably those in the business that, we're saying they only drew a thousand people in Hoshbag Kamashnabits. But they were real, re- they were prepared for that. Yeah. We knew it going in and yeah. we had been paid on, you know, if we had drawn ten thousand people. It was a sold show and the people that were putting the show on were putting it on for a select For those thousand. Yeah. Okay. Group of people. But to the outsider that doesn't understand that or know that, they're like, Oh God, they went in there and only drew so many people. The reason I find this interesting is he does that tour and has to work to, with Steve Austin. And then he comes back uh, and is immediately programmed with Steve Austin, which I would assume, and I'm probably wrong. And I want you to myth bust it now for us. Brett asked for Austin. Probably. Okay. Brett and Steve had great chemistry. And they knew that even early on. Yes. Brett just said, hey, I can make, I can do something with this guy. Without a doubt. Yes. Okay. Yes. So then uh, there's kind of the, will he or. To to go back to your, you know, that that question a little bit. When Steve came in, he went around on top with Shawn Michaels when Shawn was the champion. Ice cold with no, no angle, no not a lot of promotion. It was just Steve Austin, the million dollar champion, um, and Sean, and they tore the house down every night and everybody wanted to, you know, there are guys you want to work with. And Steve was one of those guys. And Brett's one of those guys that everybody wanted to work with. So Brett's seeing Steve, he loved working. He being Brett loved working with Austin. So Brett is now kind of, um, this is the fall of 96. I think it's October. I'm freestyling. Uh, and there is a discussion about will he, or won't he, at least for television purposes, as far as will he sign with WCW? Will he return to the WWF? Oh God. And that's when it comes out that he signed a 20 year deal. Curious through that whole contract situation. What was real? What wasn't? This is a weird time in the WWF. The NWO is really starting to take hold. Jim Ross has turned heel. He's brought back fake razor and fake diesel. Uh, Farouk is, uh, you know, Ron Simmons ha- has a stupid gladiator outfit on. It, it's, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the promotion. So carrying us through, if you're defending the Farouk thing, we got to circle back to that. Curious through the, the, the contract situation with Brett in the fall of 96. Well, the Farouk thing was great. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring that up. A lot of people skip over that part. That's that's funny. Um, there was, again, I, I don't really remember the time frame either. But the issue was Brett had been, it was during a time that WCW was on fire. On fire. They were kicking our ass in the ratings and they were offering deals to a lot of our talent who had contracts that were coming up. Brett being one of those people. Brett indicated that he didn't want to go. 
that he wanted to stay in the WWF at the time. Can I ask who you think would have helped set that up? Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, DDP. I uh, have no idea. Uh, okay. Yeah, I have absolutely no clue on that. Okay. But the situation was one that, again, let's, let's go back even, well, in the same time period. Hulk Hogan's contract was up at WCW coming up. So Hulk was also negotiating. I see. Which very few people actually know. Hulk was negotiating, and Hulk put the feelers out. He wanted to see if there was anything back in New York. And this is just a, a few months after the NWO. That would have been July of 96 when Hogan joined. We're in October now. He was now. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. So we're just a couple of months in to a pretty big-time angle, and Hogan sending feelers out. Yeah. Okay. His contract was up. He had the option. He had the right to at that time. And we were exploring those options, uh, seeing, you know, what do we want to do? Uh, Hulk Hogan's available. Hulk Hogan arguably was the guy who the WWF was built on. And that's arguable. Yeah, that's not arguable. Some some people will argue it. Sure. But here you have Hulk Hogan who's available. And wanting to come home, if you will. And you've got Bret Hart, whose contract is coming up, and is wishy-washy on where he wants to be. Well, if you lose Bret, what do you... you What do you you pick up? Yeah. Right. And if there's an opportunity to pick up a Hulk Hogan, then do you need Bret? Right. So... That was debated back and forth. Vince went out to Denver and met with Hogan. Wow. And uh, I'll never forget it. Vince went out there to, to meet with him and, you know, tried to keep it private. And Hulk was like, no, oh, man, let's go Are those go all airport meetings? Do they always meet? No, they the met in a hotel. Okay. And Vince was like, you know, you want to come up to the room? He says, no, let's go down to the restaurant. And they met in public. So everybody could see, and Hulk's thing was, you know, I I believe, looking back, and, you know, we thought about it afterwards, that that was obviously a Hulk. Negotiation tactic for WCW. Sure, exactly. Yeah. And we, you know, had Hogan's contract. We looked at it. We had an opportunity uh, to match it, make it better, give him an offer. But WCW had the opportunity to match it. Sure. Uh, with Turner. So, again, we went back and forth, Hulk, Brett, Hulk, Brett, Hulk, Brett, Hulk, Brett, and and chose Brett. So you guys didn't make an offer to Hogan? I don't think we did. And you don't think you did because his contract demand was too much? His asking was too much. His asking was a lot. However, Vince being... Do you remember a number? I don't. But I do remember Vince saying that if it helps you, Terry... I'll, I'll make you an offer. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, Vince is always good. That's like pretty that. good. That's pretty I mean, solid of him. Yeah. He said, he goes, if it helps you, I'll, I'll, I'll make you an offer and I'll honor it if, if it's what you want to do, but I'm not going to pay you what you're asking. Right. And so the decision was made to make Brett an offer. So at this point, um, you guys negotiate terms with Brett and there's been a lot of talk about that contract. Was it really a 20-year deal? Yes. And, and do you remember, was it a million dollars a year for 20 years? Is that what the no, number was? No, it was not. No, it wasn't. 
it was it was staggering numbers. It, it was high during the times that Brett was wrestling and on for TV. the remaining yeah. for the remaining years that he had left to compete inside the ring. And then there was a period where he would appear periodically as a as an attraction. And then there was a time that we wanted Brett to be a part of the office and be a part of the company, developing talent, working with talent behind the scenes. And how do you think Brett would have did in that role? I think Brett would have been a good teacher. I think Brett could could help guys with telling stories in the ring. He had look, say what you want to about Brett Hart. I didn't I didn't say anything bad people have okay i I probably have um but brett in the ring told beautiful stories but you think he would have been a good teacher too i'm not saying i do couldn't have been i'm just wondering what you think i I do think he 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 would have been a great teacher because brett always asked the right questions okay and he always would tell you why he did something and understood the psychology of why he was doing something. Well, did you have a conversation with Brett to know why he picked WWF over WCW at the time? Well, okay, let's, let's get to that. So the offers made, right? Brett didn't give us an answer for how long you remember that night on Monday night raw. Oh, come on. God is my witness. Uh-uh. Okay, uh-uh, because you know, because you were there. No, I'm just saying, that whole Vince acting, oh, my gosh, or thank goodness, that was a shoot. Brett didn't show up until one hour before we went live. Okay, so he told him backstage, and then... Yeah, but we weren't sure what he was going to do live, honest to God. We okay. were not really sure. Yes, he did tell us beforehand. He did. But he showed up an hour before. Which is uncharacteristic of him. Not really. Okay. But it's bad business. And with everything that was going on with Nitro yeah. stealing our guys. and People was, are on edge. It was a window. Yeah, it wasn't comfortable. Uh, I didn't think that was cool. Right. But he did show up late, told him what he was going to do. But there was still that, is he going to go out on live TV and say, I'm going to Nitro. Right. There was a little bit of that unknown. Um, now, a lot of people are going to say, well, of course you would have done that. But so I want to talk about this. He negotiated with WCW years before in 1991 sure. and thought he could leave and then found out that his contract had rolled over. And Is he was true? negotiating with WCW then. So the, the whole there's a whole lot of Bret Hart, you know, super fans who say, oh, Bret would never do that. But in reality, he'd already done it once before. Right. Okay. Uh, so he makes the announcement in the ring and I assume the conversation had been, when you come back, we'll put you with Steve at survivor series. Cause that was a month later. Well, I'm sure there was, there was discussion, you know, at the time, as far as we had an idea what we wanted to do with Brett. Yeah. But there was also serious discussion, you know, okay. What if he leaves? Yeah. You know, there's discussion. What if he leaves and we get Hogan, but then there was also the very real possibility of what if we don't get Hogan and Brett leaves anyway. This Mother's Day and Father's Day, look no further for the perfect gift than PaintYourLife.com. It's worked for me every time, and when I say every time, I mean it. I've used PaintYourLife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now, I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law, all from PaintYourLife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for Mother's Day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see paint your life.com 
can really create a hand-painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know thepainterlife.com has my back. And they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about painterlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson with painterlife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion. That's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at painterlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now, to get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. So let's fast forward to Survivor Series 1996. It's one of my very favorite pay-per-views you guys put on. Uh, it's really a pretty historical pay-per-view in hindsight. Rocky Mavia makes his debut. Uh, Yokozuna's last pay-per-view. Jake Roberts is there. Snook is there. Garden? Yeah, in the garden. Um, it's a really big show. And two of the matches really kind of start to shape the future of the WWE a little bit. Um, supposedly Vader was supposed to be in the main event against Shawn Michaels. That didn't go well at SummerSlam from Shawn's perspective. So supposedly an audible is called Sid is put into that spot. The garden totally dumps all over Shawn cheers Sid, even when he attacks Jose Lothario with the camera. Um, so it's a different time in professional wrestling and, and, and the undercard, uh, Brett and Austin put on one hell of a match and they do the WrestleMania eight finish that Brett did with uh, Piper where he pushes off the top turnbuckle with the sleeper hold and still gets the pin. I know you're laughing cause I remember all that, but it was a phenomenal show. If you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. What was the, the climate coming out of that show knowing, okay, the New York, which we've always heard the garden is kind of Vince's measuring stick. Would you agree with that? That's what we've all heard online that. Vince really thought the pulse of the WWF was what the garden thought. That's fair. Okay. Sure. That's fair. So now they're, they're shitting on Sean and they're cheering Sid. 
what's the conversation coming out of that show? Well, I think that we always question ourselves. You know, it's we always had plan A and plan B for most things that we did. You know, you always discuss what if. But but two months after that, the, you're doing a super show at a dome. Well, that's the thing. And and we had that kind of in our sights that, okay, we're going to San Antonio, Sean's hometown. They're not going to boo him there. Very traditional town. And, you know, we got to put 70,000 people in there. So do you switch gears? We went with it and kind of looked at it as a bit of an aberration for what the garden was that night. Um, they booed the shit out of the rock too. Right. You know, Rocky might <laughs> Um, they booed Snooka that night in a place where Snooka was a God. And we just stayed the course, you know, because we knew where we wanted to go with Sean and we knew where we wanted to go with San Antonio in January. And it was a way of kind of christening Sean is the champion in January in I front wanna, of a big crowd. I want to pick your brain about that Royal Rumble show. Uh, Jim Cornette said uh, once in a shoot interview, and I thought this was an excellent analogy. Sometimes you have a show that needs a dome, and then sometimes you have a dome that needs a show. That felt like, based on the promotion, because we would hear all, you know reports that you love the rumors and innuendo, that you guys had to paper the shit out of that building and were giving tickets away and ticket prices were very economical. Was this just to kind of flex your muscles against WCW and show that you could still put on a big show or, or it seems really weird to have a Royal rumble that large of an arena. It had never been done before. Why then? Well, it was an, as I said, it was an opportunity to give Sean a showcase, a big showcase, a dome in his hometown. It was a great deal. Okay. For there the it dome. is. That that's, that's what I needed. Um, you know, so that was that was a huge part of it, and the ticket prices were economical because it wasn't a WrestleMania. Yeah, we're in a part of the country, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of middle class that weren't going to pay those huge prices. Right. So it was always it's not New York. Yeah, it's not New York, but it also wasn't WrestleMania. Yeah. yeah. I think that you could go into San Antonio with a WrestleMania and get WrestleMania prices. I, I, I believe that. But when we went in there, it was a Royal Rumble. You got an awesome deal on the building. So you could do lower ticket prices, still do a much larger gate than you could have done at right. the Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum. And put a lot of people in there, make it look good for the event and for Sean's kind of, yeah. you know, anointment, if you will. So let's talk about that. Uh, that Royal Rumble, another one of my favorite shows, uh, it comes down to, uh, four guys you guys do that. What a, what a superstar lineup that 97 Royal Rumble has too. If you haven't seen it, probably the breakout performance of Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, at that point, but it comes down to the final four. Um, and they do a final four pay-per-view the very next month in Chattanooga and it's undertaker, Vader, Bret Hart, and Steve Austin. And the plan I think was the, whoever wins that is going to face Sean for the title at WrestleMania. But along the way, someone loses their smile. So <laughs> carry us through, I lost my smile and how you first heard about it and what your thoughts were and what the common feeling amongst the boys backstage was at that time. Oh, we were in Lowell, Massachusetts, and Sean had injured his knee. 
Did you just find out that day it was happening or did you know ahead of time? No, we found out that day. He showed up to the building and said, I'm dropping the bill. Yes. Hmm. So you guys have to just scramble and rewrite well, everything. Hang on. No, I, I, let me take that back. We knew Sean was injured and we knew it wasn't good news. So the knee, right? The knee. Yes. Okay. So we knew that we had to get the title off of Sean. And the idea was that they would have a short match and a quick deal and put the title on Sid. In Lowell, Massachusetts. Or just wherever. That's where we were. Okay. You know, you get the news, you're you're given this information, you gotta do something, you got a live T V show to do it on. Um and then an audible is called. And this is the famous What show. Audible was called. He just dropped he forfeited the belt in the middle of the ring. Well, okay, hang on. You're getting ahead of me. You're, okay. going, you're going into your conspiracies now. Well, no, I'm just following what you just said. Okay. You just said the plan yes, was dropped. We, we, the idea was, and, and Sean didn't want to do that. And Sean felt that uh, he wanted to go in the ring and and forfeit the title. Now, Not what we wanted to do. wasn't our plan A. wasn't our plan B. Um, but it's kind of what we were stuck with. And at no time did anyone know that, he was going to lose a smile in the middle of the promo. So let me ask you, um, when you're saying it's not what Sean wanted to do, does Sean present that as, man, I don't want to lose the belt in five minutes when I can't give my best performance or does Sean just say, man, I ain't, I ain't doing a job like that. I'm not doing, I'm just going to drop the belt. You know, his, his thing was, I can't have a match okay. when people see me, they expect to see you know, okay. Sean Michaels performance. I think it's a chicken shit way to, to get the belt off of me. I'd prefer to okay. just go in and, and forfeit the belt. So there's no Sean of- has a has a pride about him. Sure. That if he can't go in and be the Shawn Michaels that he thinks he can be, he'd rather not perform. Yeah, he uh he kind of addressed that on the Rick Flair show earlier this year where he's always said what happens between the ropes, the actual match, that's what matters. Everything else right. is just conversation. Yes. So, uh, you said, you made a comment there where you said, we didn't know he was going to lose his smile until halfway through the promo. So that line, I didn't know he was going to lose his smile until he said it. Okay. So when you're, when you're sitting back watching the monitor wearing a headset, like you are now, and he says that your reaction is, well, you know, we try to watch our language here. No, we don't. So, yeah, we do. All right. Well, censor yourself. No, it was uh, just kind of what the fuck. Yeah. Because that's not forfeiting the title because of an injury that's not going to allow you to that's, perform. That's, I'm depressed, I'm leaving. That's, you know, mommy says I lost my smile. So let's just ask the, uh, let's address the, the elephant in the room. When when he first says this, how many people are saying, he just didn't want to drop the belt to Brett? Or oh, everybody's there. saying that. Okay. But he wasn't dropping the belt to Brett. He was dropping it to Sid. Well, but I mean, in terms of the knee injury, if he comes up lame in February, he can't he can't drop the belt to Brett a month later. But who says he was going to drop the belt to Brett in a month later? What was the plan? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. You just don't Come know on. it all. Conrad. You know what? We started this thing. We're going to talk about Montreal. Now there. you're you're racking my brain Listen, back to the Let's run through this. Other stuff. No one listening is disappointed right now. Everybody <laughs> has heard Montreal a thousand damn times. This is true. Thank and, you and for bringing it up. And we're going to get there, and but we're going to tell the backstory okay. along the way. Okay. I think this is way better. Don't get hot. Okay. You're hot now. But folks, Conrad's hot. He's pissed. He's over there sitting, sh- shrugging in his chair. Okay. So let's run through it. Now he's mad. Go ahead. No, I'm not mad at all. Yeah, so um, the decision is made to um, do an old switcheroo. 
Brett wins the final four, but then drops it to Sid on Raw. Uh, loses it to Sid. Uh, we start to see a little more edge for the very first time from Brett. Was there any conversation about how difficult it would be to start the heel turn of Brett Hart? What do you mean? Well, Brett had been a babyface for such a long time at that point, And now he's going to, you know, claim he was screwed by, uh, you know, to drop the belt to Sid on raw. Uh, and then he's going to have a cage match and then he's going to say he was screwed there. He's going to cuss on live TV. We're almost to WrestleMania 13. Now you guys are going to do a double turn. I'm wondering if he had any reservations about being this hero and this baby face and this face of the company, the face that runs the place, so to speak. And now he's going to be a heel no not at all not that i remember and and frankly the hotter the baby face the hotter the heel sure so the fact that he was all the things that you just described made it easier to make him a heel when you guys would have someone cuss on the microphone on television would you give usa a heads up on that or would you just say well we had we had a delay in the truck so we could we could nip it in the truck you didn't always no so sometimes we're human. We miss it on purpose. Conrad. You're okay. You're making a face right now the, if you're really trying to get him over, you want one to slip through every now and again. Is that more of a ask forgiveness, not permission type situation? Depends on the situation. Okay. You're not going to give me an answer. Let's move along. So WrestleMania 13, it's is a rib. Here. Conrad. It was just a rib. Oh, I see. I'm trying to not do that this week. <laughs> yeah. Conrad it's just, all just a rib. Um, WrestleMania, we looked in the box of gimmicks and we said, what should we do? Okay, okay. Go ahead. WrestleMania 13. One of my very favorite matches of all time. That's a great time in wrestling. Uh, Steve Austin, Bret Hart. I quit match. Uh, Ken Shamrock is the referee. Um, whose idea was it to involve Shamrock? Did you know all along he was going to be a wrestler? Were you just trying to feel him out? And at this point, we're just going to, uh, do a special appearance, like a one-off or what's the plan with Shamrock? Oh, hell no. Shamrock was signed. Mm-hmm. Shamrock was in. He was just waiting to introduce him. Did you have the finish in mind, or you guys have the finish in mind for that Steve Austin Bret Hart match before you announced it was a submission match, or did you just reach in the box of gimmicks and say submission match, even though Austin didn't have an I quit maneuver? Well, I think it was Howard Finkel's turn to pick in the box of gimmicks. Oh, so he reached in and came up with an I quit match, and that's, you know, it just happened. What's That's the, how it works. What's the real deal? No, it, it was um, simply a situation of you've got a great technician in Brett, great technician in Steve Austin. They'd seen the other matches, and it made sense. It, it was it just made sense. So the the finish was booked at what point? Probably that day. So uh, really, an awesome match. You know, he uh, he bleeds out, so to speak. He passes out. He doesn't uh, tap out. He doesn't quit. Uh, iconic thing that they never show on TV anymore because of the color. Uh, Brett does the honors for him. Is there any nervousness about, um, when I say do the honors, I mean, with zip, uh, he had a little help doing it. Uh, and, and Austin has admitted it's not something that he did often or he felt comfortable with or whatever. So Brett did it for him. Do you remember that being a conversation? Is that commonplace back then for one of the boys to take care of another in that regard? You're very weird about me asking this, aren't you? <laughs> Is this the one sacred thing you're not supposed to talk about? No, I, you know, it was, it was not approved. It was not part of the match. Guys went into business for themselves. So he was supposed and, to just pass out and they decided to add the element of color. Yep. Yeah, come on. Are you serious? 
You asked me a question, I answered your question. Wow, that's news to me. I didn't expect that. So we come out of here and you do a, maybe the most magnificent double turn in the history of the WWF. Yes, at wasn't that it point. great? I mean, it really was. It, uh, it was. And you're not being facetious there, are you? It was phenomenal. No, I'm, I think okay. it was. I think it's one of those that you Best ever. guys should study to see how two guys can walk into the ring in opposite roles and leave in opposite roles. So um, now, so now Brett's a heel, and, and and we get we start getting into the um, the spring, and there's some interesting stuff happening. Uh, at one point, Brett has to go have a knee surgery. Uh, he is in a wheelchair. Uh, I want you to just take it from here because you know exactly where I'm going. He's in a wheelchair. It's the end of raw. There's a famous segment. He and Sean are in the ring. What happened? What was supposed to happen? Well, yeah, I guess, uh, the more significant part of that is what didn't happen on air. Um, the end of the show was for Sean to super kick Brett out of the chair. So Brett's in the but, chair running Sean down with the mic. Yes. But Brett was supposed to get to a certain line and make a certain statement that would get Sean to kick him out of the chair. And back in those days, we had a hard time. We had to get out on the USA network when we were live. So we didn't have these five, 10, 15, 20 minute overruns runovers that, you know, they can do now whenever they feel like mm-hmm. it. So if we got to that point, we would, we would ask for extra time. Sometimes they'd give us 30 seconds. Sometimes they'd give us a minute on, I believe on this occasion, they might've given us 90 seconds, but we're queuing Brett. Q and Sean, letting them know exactly how much time is left. Now, and tell, Brett's t- just not doing it. What's that mean? He, is, he's not wearing an earpiece. So tell no, there are people listening. around. You got cameramen. You got people around the ring. And they have hand signals or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so he knows it's You're time. You're winding them up. You're wrapping them up, telling them, you know, go home. Like, we're going off the air. Yeah. And. He ignores it. Ignored it. Brett just flat out ignored it. And so eventually Sean does the super kick, but it's not on television. Sure wasn't. And so when Sean comes backstage, what happens? He was livid. He was pretty pissed off. He knew it had been missed. He knew. They were oh off. yeah. I mean, because it, it, some point when we went off the air, people stopped giving him cues. And we're like, we're off the air. Yeah. We're, we're done. Yeah. And Sean knew we were off the air because he knew that he was seeing him give the cues and Brett was seeing him give the cues. And Brett just did that just, just to steal the I, thunder. I don't know why he did it. To so, this day, I don't know why he did it. So they start going back and forth. At one point, there's a Sunny Days comment. What was the feeling backstage when the Sunny Days comment comes out? You know, I I think that people had kind of ch- chosen sides, if you will. You know, there are people in Sean's camp, people in Brett's camp. Okay. And I think that Brett and Sean stirred up both sides i think they were equally uh can take credit for stirring the other one up and i don't think it was appropriate to do on live tv it was an inside deal for whatever reason that i i don't like doing inside personal stuff on air and on and in public it it doesn't add anything to the product doesn't do anything it's just petty and and bullshit were those was that talk really going on backstage was there really whispers about a bret hart sunny thing at the time i'm not asking whether or not it really happened people were married at the time i'm saying there probably was i mean to say specifically i really don't remember i remember the comment sure i remember the comment i remember brett being pretty upset about it 
So at some point this comes to a head and, um, people are yanking hair in the back, <laughs> carry us through the backstage fight. I believe this would have been, I'm guessing June of not Hartford, Connecticut. I'm freestyling, but you remember. So tell us about this, uh, hair incident. Well, it was, I, I wasn't there in the middle of the fight, but from, uh, an eyewitness, you know, they, Sean, they being Brett and Sean had words. Is the eyewitness Jerry Lawler? No. Okay. I was, was Lawler an eyewitness to it? I don't know. I just hear Lawler has the hair. (laughs) He may, uh, I don't know, but, uh, Sean and Brett got into it and they locked up. I don't know that I, I really don't even know that any punches were thrown, but they locked onto each other's hair and they went through a wall, you know, like a false wall that we had up for interviews and stuff. They went through the wall. What time of day is this? Is this early afternoon or is this right before the show or no, this is kind of late afternoon ish. Maybe four or five o'clock. Okay. Something like that. And we were next door in Vince's office and we're going over whatever the hell we're going over. And, and Sean came in holding clumps of his own hair and talking about unsafe work environments. And we ended up sending both guys home and did the show without them. So at that point, um, was there talk about, I'm not working with that guy anymore i'm not putting that guy over do you remember any of that no no it was two guys who were pissed off it was emotional and you know it 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 spilled over i mean it happens it's a physical business it's an emotional business and uh when sean did the sunny days comment i believe brett caught a ration of shit from his wife and you know hey you got so many days on the road you go home to see your family the last thing you need is to have some shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Brett was upset and they got into it. I mean, it happens. So at this point, uh, there's a a quick little experiment with, uh, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels as tag champions, which a lot of people just kind of gloss over and don't even remember. Brett's having a series of phenomenal matches during this time, uh, with Steve Austin and really making Steve Austin with uh, figure fours around a post uh, the ambulance, just lots I of think fun stuff. We, I think that the stuff with Bret Hart and Steve Austin is probably some of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen. And I think Bret's 1997 is the best year he ever had in the business be. as far yeah. as just overall entertainment and quality. Yeah. And just, I mean, it stands up even now. It's phenomenal. Uh, that July pay-per-view um, in Canada, Canadian Stampede, was outstanding. Oh. If you haven't ever seen that, it's one of the hottest crowds ever. You may not understand exactly what you're seeing because it's just a weird deal. And I want to talk about that. The dynamic of by the time you get to midsummer, Brett has ran down America so hard with some really great lines about if you had to give the United States an animal, you'd stick the hose in this town. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh. Just phenomenal uh, stuff. So south of the border, he is a heel, but north of the border, he is cheered like the second coming. Yes. Was this always the design? No. It just, it just happened. It's organic. It just okay. happened. And, and vice versa are baby faces in the States. And it kind of trends. I mean, it was it wasn't all just the way Brett. up and down the card. Yeah. 
the Americans were heels booed in Canada. In Canada. Yeah. It, it was a really interesting dynamic. I mean, you, you cross you, you cross an imaginary line. You're in another country, but you're in. You step over that line, you're a different person. So let's run through that now. Um, around this time, you guys had to start having conversations with Dale Wilkes, who you worked with uh, back in Global as the Patriot. Um, so when this sort of America versus Canada situation starts to really boil, who says, Hey, what about Dale Wilkes? Well, I don't, it it wasn't about the America Canada thing. Dale Wilkes was just a talent that was out there and available. I'd worked with Dale in Dallas with the GWF global wrestling federation. Uh-huh. Up there in the Global Dome, Dallas, Texas, formerly known as the Sportatorium, Sacred Ground. Not there anymore. but um, The ground still is. It is. But Dell was available, and I always liked Dell, and we brought him in. And it happened to be, you know, his gimmick well, is the Patriot. Great timing. Why do you think he never got a shot in the WWF before then? He'd been around a long time, and he had a good look. His work wasn't bad. I mean... Well, I think he had a great deal in Japan. Okay. And Dell, I don't know if he was that interested in working the schedule that the WWF had. I see. So, but it was also one of those deals where it just didn't happen. Yeah. So, right time, right place. Dell's there now. So, we're in the fall now of 1997, and uh, some fun stuff is still happening. Now, uh, you know, uh, August, I guess we should cover this. Undertaker versus Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels is the referee. Uh, there's some tension between all three parties, but specifically between Bret and Shawn. Uh, at some point in the match, Shawn is involved. There's a chair there. Uh, Bret spits at Shawn. Shawn cranks back with the chair, smashes the Undertaker. Accidentally now, Bret Hart is the champion for what would be the final time, uh, but it still starts to sow the seeds of Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. Did you know at SummerSlam that that was going to be the plan for Survivor Series? Yes. So the original plan was we sow these seeds right here, right then. Um, for that was the whole reason for it. Okay, so that sets up Survivor Series. What was the plan for Royal Rumble and WrestleMania as far as 14 goes? Wow. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what we did. You know, the only the only thing that, that happened... The plan was for Shawn to beat Brett at survivor series. And then what happens at the rumble? And then Austin beats Sean at WrestleMania. Yeah. You know what? I don't know if it was necessarily at survivor series, Brett sped that up, you know, with leaving. So it could have been the rumble or could have been the rumble, but the idea was always to have, there, there were a lot of things that were discussed, frankly, but it was give me another alternative idea. Brett and Steve. So another alternative idea would have been Brett just keeps the belt and drops it to Steve at 14. Sure. Okay. Yes. I mean, it was, again, you had A-B plans. Sure. Okay. So the reason it went with Sean, again, timing and Brett leaving. So let's run through that. Um, you know, there, there was talk, you know, you, you want to get really crazy when we were talking about Hogan way back when. There was talk of that being Hogan. That so, it could have been Hogan in Austin Yeah. at 14. Yeah. Well, that would have looked a lot different. I mean, but again, that's where I say, you know, there were A, B, C, D sure. scenarios of different things that we could do. The Hogan scenario went out that night when. 
So this is kind of weird to ask, but at this point, I don't know another way to ask it. Sean's made it public. Was his addiction situation starting to get out of hand, in your opinion? Sean's? Mm-hmm. Um, probably. So it's, it, he's it, just it, becoming when I, difficult. When you say out of hand, it was... I, I can't remember a time ever that Sean was impaired to go in the ring. Okay. So uh, at this point, we're going to go ahead and go through September. It's ground zero. Uh, Undertaker dives over the ring for the first time. Now it looks like, well, we got to put these guys in a cage. Bad blood happens. It's the first ever Hell in a Cell. Kane makes his debut. Lots of stuff going on right here. Right. Now we're in the next pay-per-view, and it's Survivor Series. And there's talk the week of the show. Brett's done. Brett's on his way out. So behind the scenes, what's going on when supposedly Vince McMahon goes to Brett and says, we can't afford you from your perspective. How do you remember that happening? Well, he did it in the garden. I remember that. I don't, I don't remember how many weeks out it was, out it was, but I remember being in the garden. I remember. Were you in the room when it happened? No. Okay. No, I was not. The. Did you know Vince was going to tell him that? Yes, I did. Okay. I did. And it was Brett showing up late. So that Vince, Vince had wanted to meet with him earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, Brett showed up late. So when Vince had his meeting, I don't know that Vince was in the best mood, in the best of moods because he had to go out and do commentary and what have you. And in typical Vince McMahon, fashion he that was october let's let's cut to the chase pal here's where we are that's october because that's when cactus jack came back okay okay so it was it was done and and vince kind of got right to the point and told him you know we can't do this and be happy to renegotiate but also go and reopen your talks with wcw and if there's any way i can help you get more money there i'll do that um are you comfortable saying what you think the contract value was at the time? No. Are you comfortable saying whether or not he was the highest paid performer? Whether. Was Bret Hart the highest paid performer in the promotion at the time he was asked to take a pay cut? That's a tricky question. Just Bret yes. was one of the highest paid performers, yes. Top three? Yes. Okay. So the other ones may have been Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker? Okay. All right, I got a hand gesture that tells me maybe. Uh, okay, I didn't know this was sort of keeping kayfabe with Bruce Pritchard, but I guess it <laughs> well, is. Well, no, those are those are personal and those are business, I didn't confidential. Ask for a specific number. Yeah, but, you did. Uh, well, I said, are you comfortable with it? Yeah. I'm gonna I guess, said no. I'm going to guess half a million. Am I in the ballpark? I don't know. Okay, you do know. <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> we'll put a poll up. Do you want to know the real number next week? I think I'm probably the only person listening who cares about that. Anyway, uh, I am curious. Uh, what's the mood when Brett leaves the room? As far as you remember, is this a total shock to him? Is he happy that he maybe can go get more money? He's had problems with Sean here. Well, again, I was not in the room. I was not a part of the conversation. But you were around I, Brett post meeting. I mean, I was, and and. I guess pouty is a word. Okay. Um, I don't know that Brett was. He wasn't happy about it. He wasn't showing up that day to learn, hey, we can't afford you. Yeah. So um, I'm sure he had a lot of things running through his head. So at what point do you become aware he's leaving? Well, 
Vince gave him the opportunity and gave him, you know, whatever paperwork he needed to negotiate with WCW and to go out and get his stuff. I want to say we probably knew maybe 10 days out before the pay-per-view in that area, give or take. I don't know exactly when we found out. We found out, obviously, before the pay-per-view so that we could plan that he was leaving. So when you find out the week before the pay-per-view, had you guys already started discussing what was going to happen as far as how the belt would be taken off? There's been lots of debate about would it be at Survivor Series, would it be at Raw after? Uh, what do you remember about that? Oh, no, there was. it was always we needed to do it at the pay-per-view. Okay. So that was the internal talk. We're going to do it at the pay-per-view. From your perspective, what comes back to you? Like, does Vince come in and say, he doesn't want to drop the damn belt now. No, it was, Brett was a part of that decision and Brett was a part of helping us come up with an idea on how to get the belt off of him and what we do. We explain that, you know, when I say we, it was Vince. I was privy to those conversations right. as a witness. Um, but it was simply, this is what we have to do. All right. You understand what we have to do, and he understood what we had to do, and help us help us get there. And it just it was like pulling teeth. It was very difficult. Um, Brett never, to my recollection, you know, he didn't like dropping the belt. Didn't want to drop the belt in uh, Montreal, and but. He was willing to do it. He indicated, you know, I'll do it. We just got to figure out how we're going to do it. So it's your. But trying to figure out how we're going to do it, you know, as Randy Savage used to say, you win them in the ring and you lose them in the ring. Um, it was it was difficult to that. That's the best way I can describe trying to come up with a scenario give me an example like i yeah i don't know it, it just was freestyle different. suggestion I, you get hunter involved and i don't know and we do something and it backfires or owen comes in and it backfires and then we can do something with owen and and davy there were and again the specifics i don't know if that was it but there were there were specifics there were different things and and it was thrown back okay brett you don't like that what about this? Give me an idea. Yeah. Or, or give me something. Sure. Give me something you do like. And we didn't get a lot of feedback, if any. So it was frustrating in that regard that everything that we threw out was, no, I don't want to do that. But we didn't get anything. How about this? So that was a big frustration. The time that it consumed, this one match, you know, as we're going in, and, and that one match, frankly, was now going to affect... Everything. Everything we were doing. So it, it was just difficult. And, and we had, um, you know, come up. I, I don't even remember what the hell they'd come up with, frankly. But it was, well, the, talk to Pat Patterson, come up with something. But then, you know, of course, the Wrestling with Shadows documentary bullshit that they did with Brett wearing a wire in talking with Vince alone, which was Vince didn't talk to Brett alone through any of that until that one time when he got him, you know, and it was, and 
you know, Vince. So you said bullshit and then you said he got him. So you still hold a lot of animosity towards that film or the practices that it took to get that recording. I don't think that it was, you know, that's not real ethical to send one guy in with a wire and, and record him while he's having a private business meeting with someone else. I don't like that. I don't think that's necessarily ethical. You know we're recording this conversation. Right? Yeah, it is. Okay. I'm well aware of that. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so t- c- carry me through that, I guess. Um, supposedly, uh, there's a phone call that happens, and Hunter is the one who suggests, quote-unquote, fucking him. Uh, is that the way you remember it? or well, where- There were a lot of people that suggested it. Okay. Who else suggested it? Do you want- I, su- I suggested it. Jim Cornette suggested it. Hunter suggested it. So it wasn't a, a revolutionary idea. Lots of people were like, if he don't want to drop the belt, we'll make him drop the belt. Exactly. Been done before. And supposedly, um, Sean asked Briscoe to show him some holds in case he had to defend himself. Is that true or false? It's true. Okay. So when would you have known, Hey, if he don't want to do it, we're going to do this. What day of the week would that have been? I assume it was week. Well, first of all, that conversation never took place. We went, we went in to that match. When I say we, everyone with the exception of Sean. Uh, so when everybody suggests, let's just fuck him. Vince always says, as far as you know, we got to come up with something else. Yeah. Okay. We got to come up with another way. So when do you find out that Sean asked Brett or Sean asked Briscoe for some, I didn't find out anything until after the fact. Okay. So let's fast forward. So no, I did not know. You're watching, I assume, is it fair for me to assume you're in gorilla when yes. this happens? So you're in gorilla, you're in a headset just like you are right now. Uh, no difference, only one ear. And from what I remember, the Hart Foundation, Owen and Davey, are right behind you about to run Actually, through. they were the, right in front of me. They're about to run through the curtain to do a schmoz finish, which is what Wrestling with Shadows presented as what the original plan was supposed to be. Right. The bell rings. You're watching the monitor. It's not the finish you remember booking or calling or you're looking for. Correct. Pick it up from there. Well, uh, okay, I'll give you guys. Okay, I'll go back and I, I was going to say I'll give you something that's never been discussed. No, do it. Because it's it. personal. Do it. But, no, I'm going to go to your point. When the bell rang, and, again, I'm I'm watching the match, but I'm not. I'm doing other things, too. And I'm looking for the spot where. Davy, Davy Boy Smith and Owen Hart, and I think it was Night Hart. Do a run in. Do a run in. And we're sitting there, and I hear the bell ring. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm yelling at the timekeeper, why are you ringing the bell? And I look up on my monitor, and Brett has, Sean has his leg hooked. And Davy Boy and Owen are standing right in front of me. And Owen's like, what happened? What happened? And, <laughs> and Bulldog's like, they fucked him. They just fucked Brett. And uh, they screwed him. And they're like, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know. So they turned to look at you to ask what to well, do. They were staring at me. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I and guess so they assume you know, and you're not playing dumb. You really are dumb. To this idea. I have no clue. Okay. No clue whatsoever. I got it once. It happened. Once Sean rolled out to Vince, I got it. But. And Sean tries to play it off like he's not involved. He grabs the belt and stomps right, yeah. backstage frustrated like yeah. he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, you're about to 
digress and tell a personal story. Well, the personal story is is that we used to do Undertaker was not on TV at the time. Okay. And but he was there. Okay. And Taker sat next to me at gorilla position the entire night. Was that normal? What? For Taker to sit by you and Gorilla when he wasn't working? No, I mean, but he had nothing to do and he was watching the show. So as far as you knew, but he could have been smartened up and said, "Hey, baby, hang I'm on, here. okay, hang on." So we get, see, you just jump into the conclusions. So we're going to do the entrances, and the entrances were we followed both guys live all the way from the dressing rooms all the way down the hall through Gorilla uh-huh. out to the ring. Uh huh. Well, I told Taker, I said, hey, man, I said, we're going to be shooting through here, so you need to go and move for the entrances. So Taker went, just walked down, and went into Vince's office to watch the show. Never came back. So we have the match. Everything happens. I'm done, and I'm, I'm sitting there like a sitting duck. I have no clue what's going on. And I get up. And I'm going to go back to Vince's office where all my stuff was and where, you know, we all had our stuff. And as I'm walking back, I see Undertaker standing in the hallway to Vince's office with his arms crossed, kind of looking around. And I'm like, son of a bitch. He knew. Yeah. And now he's guarding Vince's office. Mm -hmm. And I blow by him. And he's looking at me like I got steaming turds hanging out of my mouth and we don't say anything to each other well enough you're gonna say something yeah we don't you know i'm mad at him because i think he knows he's mad at me because he thinks i know and he thinks i sent him away Hmm. so that he wouldn't be there when it happened now what the hell he could have done about it or anything else i don't know but you know so we think each other knows and that was just my personal little thing that we had did y'all talk about it later oh yeah so he did know no, he never knew. No, he did not know. But he thought you knew. He thought I knew. Okay. And I thought he knew. And nobody knew. And nobody knew. Okay. So we were mad at each other and we were both kind of... On dead. the same boat. Yes. So now uh, Vince throws a... Or, uh, Brett spits on Vince, throws a tantrum ringside, smashes the TVs, paints WCW with his fingers in the air, comes back through the curtain. Are you still in Gorilla at this point or have you hightailed it out of there? No, I was in Vince's office. So you go to Vince's office and you assume that everyone will congregate there or what happens? Does Vince come in the room next or what happens? Uh, yeah. Vince and Shane came in. I want to say say that Shane came in first. Uh, then Vince came in then Jerry Briscoe and then Jerry Briscoe went out and got Jr. and brought Jr. in and, um, that was it. So you guys are sitting around the office and then there's the, nobody was sitting. Okay. Everybody's standing (laughs) around the office. Um, what's Shane doing during all of this? You know, it's, I'm sure that everybody who wasn't there probably has this vision of us, you know, sitting around plotting. It it was silence. I mean, it was silence. We, We sat there, we watched the monitor, Brett destroying everything. It's kind of like morning of death a little. Okay, I don't know what that is. Well, no, I'm just saying, like this is the this is the end. Something is something traumatic right. has happened. This well, and is we not... know, and we know that it's yeah, and it was far from the end, and we all knew that. Yeah, and um, Jerry Briscoe went to go and you know talk to Brett and pretty much go out and face everybody, and 
I mean, you know, Briscoe came back and Vince was like, you know, I need to go and I need to face him. I need to face everybody. What did Briscoe say? Brett said, do you recall? Yeah, I don't recall him really saying anything. I don't even know that, that Jerry spoke to Brett. So Vince then goes into the locker room where Brett is. We, yeah, we made that walk and got spat upon by the Hart family along the way in the hallways. Uh, I mean, they literally spit on us. The wrestlers or the family? The family. So like his wife and yeah, it's spitting on sisters. Yeah. They weren't happy. So then you, uh, you walk into the room at this point, Hunter and Sean are probably out of there. No, they were there. Okay. So walk into the locker room. What happened? We walked in on the way there. We were met by, uh, taker. What has the, has the director come up yet? Like the, the, the company that's filming. Has that been a topic of conversation at this point? What has, director? They're the, shooting the, wrestling with shadows. Oh, they were nowhere around that from the standpoint of what I'm saying, us, I'm saying as far as Vince goes, is he thinking, oh shit, I forgot they're here. We need somebody to neutralize. Oh God, that. that was the furthest thing from our mind. Okay. That was the furthest thing from anybody's mind. Okay. It was kind of like a non-issue. Okay. But you know, we went, we got confronted by undertaker, Davey boy and, uh, Owen. And Neidhart. And Vince just looked at him and said, guys, what did you expect me to do? You know, I did it for you. So he, he wasn't willing to do business. I had to do something. I had to do something to protect each and every one of you guys. And, um, I said, where's Brett? And he went down, walked down the hall. Um, Undertaker went in and pretty much got everybody that was not directly involved in the match got him out and uh, i was there tony Gurria was there sergeant slaughter jerry briscoe shane and then uh, the guys that were involved in the match so anybody else that claims to have been there um Earl Hebner was not there. Earl was gone. Um, they weren't there. Um, even Ken Shamrock asked if he could stay and was asked to leave. So, you know, and it was, it was pretty simple at this point. Um, Brett was in the shower and Davey went in and told Brett that Vince was here. (laughs) Brett came out of the shower still soaking wet and said, I'm going to finish taking a shower. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to knock you out. So he goes and takes a shower. Went in and finished his shower, came out, started to get dressed. And, you know, he and Vince, you know, he cussed at Vince and blah, blah, blah. And Vince just said, you know, Brett, you left me no choice. I had no choice. I had to do what was right for my business. I couldn't allow you to just take the belt and show up at our competitor and had to do what I had to do. And I would think that you would respect that. And it, you know, it got, it was heated on Brett's end. Vince was pretty calm through the whole thing. Um, and both guys, emotions were, <laughs> were pretty high and Brett did exactly what he said he was going to do. Brett got dressed, tied his shoes, picked up his knee brace, threw it in his bag and got up and punched Vince. 
Was it just one punch and he was done? Or one was punch, that- one punch, and everybody was in between them. And Vince went down, um, but everybody was in between them, and, and it wasn't going any further than that. Um, so he smartened up. You know, Vince told all the guys, you know, he deserves a shot. Let him get one. Yep. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you really dig into what we're talking about here. Because you kind of get the impression that a lot of WWE folks, maybe Vince, maybe not, certainly not then, view the world title as a prop. It's not a big deal. But right here, Vince is really defending that belt. It was a symbol it. of the company. It sure. was a symbol of the brand and the company that Vince and his father had built. So to have your champion, I'm saying that symbol goes somewhere else. That which, symbol gets bounced around in pretty ridiculous fashion these days. I, I understand that. So I'm just, I'm just wanting to clarify that what a different time it was in mindset. Right. Um, so let's, let's kind of address the Medusa thing. Was that ever a discussion? I mean, did you guys really believe that Brett was going to show up on Nitro like Medusa did with the belt? How would you, I mean, how would you think anything else? Did he negotiate when he was the Intercontinental Champion to take that belt to WCW to the best of your knowledge? I have no idea if he did. I have no idea whatsoever. Uh, Bischoff has always maintained that he never asked Brett to bring the belt and knew that Brett could. I believe that. that, And he knew that Brett could. And he he says that because he'd already been sued for that. Right. So there was, you know... Not just because he's a nice guy, but he knew, oh, I'm going to get sued for that. Um, but he doesn't start on TV for like a month after with WCW. But when you guys were still pretty steadfast and, hey, you know what? They'll do it anyway and just take the lawsuit and let him show up a month early. We didn't know when he was going to show up. Okay. We had no idea. But regardless of when he was going to show up, we had to transition transition that championship to someone else that was going to be here that we could get behind. So Vince sustains uh, a black eye, I suppose, and um, some sort of ankle injury in the fall and then limps out of there. And that's caught on camera in the movie. Your feelings about that being filmed and shown in the movie or. Um, I mean, it's real life. I just, I felt that the, the portrayal it was not a fair portrayal and you can say, you know, if everybody says I'm sucking Vince's dick and I'm towing a company line, I don't work for WWE. I probably will never work for them ever again. You never say never, but the way things are, I'll probably never work for them again. I'm quite happy where I am and what I'm doing right now. And no, I, I don't tow any company line. I have no reason to tow a company line, but I also do not appreciate and, will feed into the rumor and innuendo and bullshit. And that documentary was very one-sided. Yeah. Their timing was great, you know, but it was, it was strictly one-sided. It wasn't a fair portrayal, but that's what documentaries do. If anybody feels, thinks that reality TV is real and documentaries are just showing you all the facts. No, they're in the interest of whoever's doing the documentary. So when this uh, fight is over, you guys go back in Vince's office. What happens next? Everybody just goes back to the hotel like a normal night? We left. So what conversations are you having 
when you leave the building, you make a phone call to somebody. You're talking about this. You're, you're, you've got to be, your senses are high. Who are you calling? What are you saying? What's the talk? What's the theme? Well, Jerry Briscoe's one of my best friends in the whole wide world. And, and, uh, I had a little chat with Gerald and he told you that he knew and that Sean, he showed Sean some hooks or something. He told me what he had done the night before and that they had talked about it the night before. Um, and he went to Sean's hotel room or Sean went to, okay. I, you don't remember that part. I, okay. don't, I don't know, but you know, th- that he knew and, and I understood his position, uh, talked to Vince and, you know, he pretty much said the same thing to me because I did it for you. I did it for everyone, you know, in my company. Uh, so the next day you guys go to raw and supposedly a handful of guys don't come or say they're not coming. Mick Foley didn't show up. One guy. That was it. Everybody else showed. Everybody else showed. But then maybe they were a little. And then Mick called and apologized and was there the next day. So when you say everybody, Owen, Anvil, Davey, they're all there. Owen, those guys. No. And Vince asked them not to come. Okay. Told them they didn't have to come. Hawk is there. Uh, everybody, everybody, else that, let me put, everybody that was supposed to be there was there. Okay. So is anybody walking around with their ass on their shoulders, so to speak about Vince screwing one of the boys and they're trying to stand up for the boys or do people get it? You know, some got it, some didn't. And who didn't get it? There were a lot of guys that didn't get it. I, I, I don't know specifically who, but there were guys that didn't get it. Um, we had a meeting with the guys. I, I think we didn't have a meeting until the next day because it was, we needed to get business taken care of and move forward. So raw, you don't have a meeting. I don't think the, we had the meeting at raw. But on I think Tuesday. we had it on Tuesday. Okay. Got so everybody you, together and Vince explained, Hey guys. So uh, like in an arena, they're all in the seats chilling and we had a backstage somewhere. Okay. We're catering or something like that. Okay. I, I don't, I remember the meeting, but I don't remember. What's the, the gist of the message that Vince pushes out? Same exact message that he always said. I did it for you guys. You know, this is the situation, guys. He left. Didn't want to do business on the way out. I did what I had to do. Um, I did it to protect you. I did it so that didn't give our competition another edge over us. I did it so that we would be it's, able to continue to do what he, we do. He maintains at that time that Sean didn't know. Who? Vince. They all stuck with that story for a long time, yeah. Okay. But you knew by then that Sean knew. I okay. did know by then. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. But there was no, but, but here's, and, and here's the reason for that. There was no reason to put undue heat on. Sean. Oh no, I totally get it. He had enough, Sean had, on enough his own. Heat. Sean had enough heat on his own. And there was no reason to put undue heat on Sean. And I'll tell you something that Vince said to me when we got back. Cause I, I look, I, I was upset about it at the time. I felt that, you know, you just don't do that. But at the same time, I understood why. And late one night when we got back to the office and, uh, I never forget cause I used to like to have my lights off and I had a lamp on my desk and I would work by lamplight and it was later in the evening and it was dark outside and Vince comes walking into my office and I was the only one there and, uh, just kind of, you know, typical Vince. How you doing, pal? So I'm all right. And I was being kind of a dick to him because I get you it. Felt left I understand. Out. I felt left out. I did. I felt like, you know, couldn't trust me. You could have trusted me and, and I would have been behind you and I'm behind you now. But what he said kind of put it all in perspective for me. 
And and I said to him, I said, you know, you could have told me. He says, then you would have known. And that would have dumped on you. And I didn't want you to have to lie to anybody. This way you can look anybody in the eye. So you say, didn't know. I didn't know. And you weren't a part of it. That was to protect you. It's pretty smart. And I said, well, okay. I said, you know, I, made, I said something with Sean's name. He says, well, I want you to think about this. Who else do you think would have had the balls to go in and do what Sean Michaels did? That took a lot of balls. Not to just do it in the ring, but to walk back through that curtain and face all those guys in the locker room. Yep. And he did that for you. And he did that for everybody back there. So when you're mulling all this over, and I understand your emotions, keep that in mind. That's a fair assessment. And, you know, I, I thought about it and I was like, you're right. A lot of guys can say, well, I would have done this. I never would have done that. You weren't put in that situation. Right. So at this point, you know, you guys have, have told the Hart Foundation not to show up to the TV, but eventually you try to bring them back into the fold. Let's talk briefly about how that's done. It's pretty well documented. Owen got a bump. Uh, Owen had to, you know, feel a little weird about not supporting his brother, whatever that meant, but really he had a job to do. And that's the reason he was in the WWF, not to hang out with his brother, not to support his brother, but to support his family. And he made a financial decision to stick around. Did Vince give him that bump out of obligation? Did he give him that bump to uh, reward his loyalty? Did he give him the bump to stick it to the hearts? What's the motivation behind giving Owen Hart a bump to stay? Owen was put in a difficult position. Owen was Brett's brother, and Owen didn't do anything wrong. Well, here's my point. Normally, you'd like to think in the wrestling business that your pay is dictated by the level of draw you are and how effective you are for someone's business. Did Owen become that much more effective for the business because his brother got screwed to warrant that? Sure type he of did. Race? Owen was a big part of that. He was a big part of that group, without a doubt. And he was a big part before, though. Yes. But the race comes after. I'm, I'm curious about okay. the timing of the race. Well, the race came after on on several accounts. He, frankly, became more valuable after that. Because he was the biggest heart. Because he was the biggest heart, and he was still there. So yeah. there was an issue. And, you know, it was a good deal for Owen. But it, was, it wasn't, hey, well, let's pay him off because of Brett. Owen had the opportunity, just like Davey Boy and just like Jim. If they wanted out, Vince offered them their release. Owen didn't want his release. Uh, so for his loyalty for staying, he was rewarded. He was rewarded by being put in a program with Sean. He was rewarded monetarily, which he beaten. deserved. Yeah. He was still put in a top program, and he was taken care of, and Owen was, you Do know, you think he stuck around because he felt like this was his, his chance to be the top heart and now he really didn't have to be Brett's little brother. And maybe he had a chance to stand on his own. And if he went to WCW, he'd still be Brett's little brother. Yeah. I, I can't answer that for him, but I know that he wanted to be there. So, uh, Davey boys offered his release and I think Davey boy ended up going down South. He did. But, yeah. uh, so is, Neidhart. is that viewed as being a big loss to who WWF? Oh, I thought you were talking about WCW. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to. No, it really wasn't. Um, so I, when they asked for the release, it's kind of like, as long as we get Owen, we don't care what happens to these two. No, we were willing to lose Owen if we had to, too. It but, was but simply, it goes back to the happy locker room theory. Okay. 
Don't want an unhappy locker room. Yep. And so if they're unhappy, let them go. If they're unhappy, let them go. Now, uh, Nightheart leaves and comes back, right? Yep. Uh, what's it like to have him reintroduced after he asked for his release? Do you remember? Does he call? Do y'all call? That seems like an Stu interesting... Stu always called. Really? Yeah. Stu even called for Jim. Stu always had to call for Jim. Okay. And so give me an idea. What do you think that conversation looked like or felt like for Nightheart to come back? Yeah, Vince, uh, can you do something with the rhino? Uh, he called Nightheart Rhino. I say, uh, Big bastard. Uh, they sure would appreciate it. Just kind of like that. I mean, it was. And Vince. Okay, sure. Vince loves Stu. Uh, at that point, when when Davey leaves, uh, he had some well-documented issues. Were those already reeling their head, and it was like, well, we have to deal with that? Yeah, it, you know, it was unfortunate, but yeah. So, who who first? We're going long here, but uh, we're going to get things wrapped up. But we can't get out of here without talking about this. Who's sitting around the table and says, you know what? Vince has a lot of heat. We should do something with this. You know what? <laughs> oh god for those of you listening right now let me just clarify we do not talk about this <laughs> off air at all uh we literally sit down and with no research and just hit the button and talk and i know some people are going to say that's lazy but i think this makes for a better show so whose idea is that i i have an idea because you don't yeah, want to say it, it. kind of happened it, it was organic you know, there, there, there were people that used to say, well, goddamn, Vince, if you just went out and were you, you'd be the hottest heel in the territory. Who would say that? Some people. And there were, there were other people that would say, no, Vince is the greatest thing ever. No one could hate him. And this other person would say, are you kidding me? Just, just go out and be you. You'd be the hottest heel in the company. So I think the first voice is Pat Patterson. I think the second voice is Jerry Jarrett. I think the third voice is you. Yeah, I kind of urged him to be himself on camera and let the cards fall where they may. So he goes on TV and does the, I think you're smarter than good guys versus bad guys. I think, you know, I don't know this. I, well, I take it back. I do know it. But Vince did not go into the interview, Brett screwed Brett, with the anticipation that he was going to come out of that as a character or a heel. Really? Vince went into that as an explanation from a company standpoint, thinking that people would rally behind and rah-rah WWF. It was more of a Brett screwed Brett. WCW was trying to screw us. We're the little guys here. And woe is us thinking people would rally behind. Instead, you know, they went with, well, you're the owner. You could have fixed it. Screw you. And we got Mr. McMahon on our hands. And that that initial, that initial interview with JR, right? With JR. Yep. That was designed to just be the company sympathy. statement. That was that was for sympathy. Did you know when they were when they were taping it? Because you're in the production piece here. Did you know uh, this ain't going to go the way he thinks? I thought it was great. So, well, but you thought it was great to establish him as a heel, or you thought, oh, they, they'll 
they're gonna bleed blue here. They're gonna they're gonna be with the WWF. Oh, I thought they'd shit all over us. And they did. They did. And but they shit over us in a great way. And so not too long after that, uh, you know, around this time is when you know Cornette is coming out and doing rants about WCW and being edgy. Mm-hmm. And Vince does the you're smarter than good guys versus bad guys, and the Attitude Era really gets kicked off. There's a whole lot of talk that Montreal is the greatest work in the history of wrestling. Because, they outworked me then. Because Brett made more money, Vince made a lot more money, set the whole territory on fire, and it was the biggest boom in the history of the business. And it was the the match that ignited it all. You could say was Montreal. That was all my idea, hundred percent. Yeah, I thought of it all. I planned it all out. You know, I wish, I wish that I could say that yes, we were that smart and we planned it all. Sometimes things just happen organically, and you capitalize on them. And it depends on what you do with it after the fact. Uh, this, again, if it was a work, I was worked. It's like everybody else. Um, but you don't believe. As a smart man who spent his most of his entire life in the wrestling business, this was a work. Nope, do not believe it. And if it was a work, if it was work, then they were only out. only Brett and Vince know it, right? But a lot of other people would have had to know it for it to be well, what, what it became. What heat, if any, was on Hebner because of this? Well, obviously there was heat with Brett. I think there was amongst the boys. Again, I think. People had their different camps. Some people thought some that people was thought, bullshit. Yeah, some people thought it was, and some people understood. Earl Havner had a family to feed. Brett Absolutely. wasn't going to feed him. Yeah. His boss asked him to do something. His boss didn't ask him to do something. His boss told him to do something. Any any regrets about the Montreal thing? None. Do you think that uh, Vince made the right call, and if he had it to do over again, he'd do it the same way? Or do you think he's learned lessons since about maybe a different way to handle it? Same set of situations, circumstances, same everything, do it exactly the same way. Was Pat Patterson there that night? Was he there? Yeah. Yes. Pat was agent for the match. Did Pat know? Nope. Was Pat upset with Vince? Very. How long was it before they fixed things? Probably took a little while, but Pat was very upset because Pat was vulnerable. Brett thought Pat knew. Brett thought we all knew. Well, and, and Pat was pretty good friends with Brett. Yeah. And they're in his hometown. They're in Montreal. And yes. I could imagine that was a pretty but, emotional deal but for Pat. Vince didn't tell Pat for the that same reason. reasons he didn't tell me, didn't tell JR, didn't tell a lot of guys to protect him. So Vince let Brett believe the next night on Raw, he's going to forfeit the belt. I Knowing guess. We're not going to really do that. I guess from that, yeah. So at that point, when you think he's going to drop the belt on Raw before the match, of course, what did you think would be the angle that would set up the December pay-per-view and then the January Royal Rumble and then WrestleMania? Before the bell rings, before you know, well, shit, that's all different. I mean, the idea was get to WrestleMania with Steve. Steve, That was the plan. Steve and Brett at that point. Well, you're talking about Raw. Okay, so he drops it to Sean the next night. Well, you got to get it to somebody that's going to be here. Okay. So he would have. Brett ain't going to be here. <laughs> Brett ain't an option anymore. Okay. So, you know, go with the, go with the hot heel. Okay. Well, is there anything else we can talk about Montreal? Any, any other memories that stick out? Because I can't imagine uh, that there's 
many stones that have been unturned, but the Undertaker story was a big one for me. Yeah, it, it was, you know, again, that was personal stuff, and, and Taker and I didn't speak for a day, and we had a fairly heated and emotional conversation the next day. But, uh, you know, we got through it. So any other details about Montreal you'd like to share before we wrap this one up? None that I can think of. I think it's been analyzed and covered to death. Well, I really appreciate you allowing us to go into such depth. And I know I started, you know, more than a year prior, but I really feel like prior to that resigning. Don't apologize to me. Apologize to those people that answered a poll and wanted to talk about Montreal. And you're talking about. No, we got there. (laughs) Well, we got there. The, The gist of why Montreal happened was getting out of a contract and, and. You can't really talk about that unless you talk about how the contract started to me. And now you've got the full story. Of well, I what, liked it. What happened when you personally screwed Bret Hart in Montreal? I didn't screw Bret Hart. Bret screwed Bret. What a great way to end it. Be sure to throw us a follow at Pritchard Show on Twitter. We're going to take a poll every single week to cover a topic that you want to. Uh, trust me, this is going to be a fun ride. You don't want to miss out. Tell your friends, hit the subscribe button. Let's make it happen. We'll see you next week on something to wrestle with, with Bruce Pritchard. Okay. So that's going to finish up our conversation with Bruce. That is the end of the 2016 episode coming up now is something that we've done in the last year or so over at adfreeshows.com. Every other week we sit down with Mike Kyoto. And we do what we're calling Monday mailbag. So the subscribers to adfreeshows.com get to ask Gerald Briscoe anything they want every other Monday. And in between they get to ask Mike Kyoto. Now we do have Gerald Briscoe coming up on the other side of this clip, but first I want you to hear a clip from my conversation with Mike Kyoto about the Montreal screw job. He revealed something that was supposed to happen that didn't happen, that I don't think enough people have spoken about. Let's hear from Mike Kyoto over at adfreeshows.com right now. Uh, here's a fun one here from, uh, Nick Mills. What was the atmosphere like backstage at survivor series 97 and the aftermath? 97 in the aftermath. Yeah. We're talking about the Montreal was, screw yeah, job, the whole yeah, Montreal thing. Screw job. Yeah. Um, it was very awkward. Um, just, we were, a lot of people were pissed. Taker was pissed. I remember we were kind of upset because a lot of us liked Bret Hart, liked him as he was a good family man. Uh, he didn't deserve to really go out like that. And he kind of knew something was happening that day. So, um, yeah, it was a very uncomfortable, um, cause Bret was looking for Sean for a long time back there. I remember going door to door. Uh, Taker was looking for Vince. Bret, Bret came out and seen Vince and then he hit Vince and it was just, it was, it was chaos that night. It was, it was chaos. Was there any, from a referee perspective, was there any, um, I don't know, blowback on Earl for what happened? I'm sure internally, everybody had the discussion of, well, Hey, what if that was you? What if you had that match and Vince pulled you aside before True. you went out, what would you do? True. Well, I was supposed to come out on that match. I was, uh, sitting in a gorilla position and Jerry Briscoe. I remember sitting there and Owen Hart was sitting right behind me at that time. And, uh, he was supposed to, I was supposed to go in Earl was supposed to take a bump. I was supposed to go in and count one, two, maybe get a two count in there. And then Owen was going to be right behind me, pick me up by my back and my belt and my shirt and throw me through the ropes through the other side of the ring. Well, of course that never happened. 
Uh, yeah, so I mean, um, that if that was me, I don't know what I would have done. I really don't. It's because uh, Brett came to me earlier that day and he asked me, "Are they talked? Have they talked to you?" And I said, "Because I was involved in the match." I said, "No, Brett. Nobody said anything." Now I remember me and Brett. We we had a good relationship through Joey Morello. When Joey Morello was one of my best friends, he was a referee as well, and that's who I started in the business with. And that's Gorilla Monsoon's son. So, and there was there was a time that Brett and Joey and I we traveled together. Um, they kept me out of loop. I knew something was going on because I seen Jerry talking to Earl over in the side in the corner. I seen this. There was a lot of private conversations going on. I knew something was funny was going on. I didn't know how it was going to go down, but I knew something was going to go down. And then I witnessed it. But, uh, yeah, it was just a very uncomfortable um, time at that time. It was just, all, you know, the whole career and what a good stand-up guy Brett was. You know, um, there was there was times that, you know, Sean didn't want to drop the title to him. Right. In certain in certain situations. So it was just, you know, Brett didn't feel like it was the time and place to drop the title to him. You know, didn't feel like he deserved it at the time, I believe. So um, and Vince and the company was looking at it a different way and was thinking Sean Michaels was the future of the company. And I mean, which they weren't wrong. So, I mean, Sean did take the company to, to new levels that, you know, it last so many years, last 20 years of his career, you know? Right. But, uh, yeah, if I, I don't know what I would have done. I can't really answer that question. I mean, I, I got to put food on my table. I, right. I felt the way Earl felt too as well. Because in this business, it's either you, you're told what to do, how to do it. And if you don't do it, you know, if they don't get you – Next day, they'll get you the next week. They'll get you next month or to get you next year. You know, so It's coming, though. It's coming. It's coming. You know, the heat will switch to you. Believe me. Hmm. So there you go. A little extra nugget of information. I don't think has really been out there from Mike Kyoto over at adfreeshows.com. Uh, every other week he does Monday mailbag there, and uh, you can check that out at adfreeshows.com. Speaking of adfreeshows.com, Gerald Briscoe is going to be next on the show. And let me tell you, when we first had this idea of doing a remix and speaking to a few other folks, because I knew I had this Kyoto content, uh, but that's really just a short clip. My original idea was let's release this remix episode today and maybe get, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes with Gerald Briscoe. And that would be different enough for it to be worthwhile for it to be a remix. Boy, we set a time we wound up Mr. Briscoe and then we just clicked record and he talked for 90 minutes and it was almost like he was just looking to get it out there. He wanted to get this off his chest and stay tuned to the end of this conversation. He says as much, you don't want to miss this in great painstaking detail. Everything you could ever want to know about the Montreal screw job from someone who was in the room for everything. Well, welcome Mr. Briscoe to the show on the other side of the break. Okay. Okay. Boys and girls now for something totally different as we're breaking down the Montreal screw job, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. One of Bruce Pritchard's great friends. I don't know if you still claim him. Ladies and gentlemen, hall of famer himself, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. How are you, Mr. Briscoe? 
Oh man, Bayer Connie, man, oh. I'm glad you're calling. Man, I, I'm I'm so thrilled to, to, to be. You know, I've worked with you billionaire, so I know exactly oh. how you're talking, man. So I'm really thankful that you were able to fit me in here. But I'm a little disappointed in that introduction. The only thing you come up with me about is I'm friends with. Bruce, allegedly, uh, let me say that, because everything in this interview we're going to do is all allegedly. Uh, (laughs) Bruce Pritchard, I listen to your other star, uh, Jim Ross, and I listen to all these guys. Sometimes I think I wasn't even in Montreal. I think it was all just a figment of my imagination that I went through that stuff. So, you know, the the facts, if you want to hear the facts, call a man that was there. As Bruce Pritchard said, I was there, you know, and and I was in the rooms with these guys. So, you know, I I listen to it and I I love uh, Mark Calloway to death. Everybody, Everybody had a different solution for what we did. And nobody knows the facts like I know them and like Vince uh, knows them and like like we, we were trying to come up with alternatives that we could do that day. And uh, and so uh, I'm glad to share my side of the story, finally. Well, I'm excited too. You know, we, we've never really heard your take. You know, we've we've heard what Bruce said. Uh, let's sort of start at the beginning. You know, this, this story really breaks down uh, as the legend goes that Vince approached Brett at Madison Square Garden in September and that's of course the, the famous show in, in September of 97, the first time raw is at MSG. We're going to see the debut of cactus Jack. We're going to see Steve Austin get arrested after he gives Vince McMahon a stunner. It's a big night, but before you go on the air is when supposedly Vince meets with Brett and says, Hey, I'm not going to be able to honor your contract. Were you aware that that conversation was going to be happening or did you find out about that after the fact? No, absolutely. I was aware of it. You know, that's a, uh, you know, with WCW, you know, uh, printing money down there on, uh, on billionaire Teddy's, uh, uh, a printing machine down there and, uh, and a line a little bit South of you, it must, must grow on trees in that area there. But, uh, but, uh, you know, he was, he was making all these, uh, obscene and insane offers to our talent. And, uh, we had gotten into a, a situation where there was a little, little set through between set, uh, Brett and, and undertaker cause undertaker had signed a deal and which made him the highest paid. Of course, Brett was champion. Brett felt like he should be the highest paid. So Vince events really couldn't meet the deal, uh, the, the dollar figure. So he went and he just extended it for, you know, for almost a, I think it was a lifetime. I didn't know it was 20. I didn't even know it had time limit on. I thought it was a lifetime contract that he, he received from him. And so for which equaled out to a hell of a lot more money than what he would have made, you know, with all the money up front there. So, uh, yeah, I was totally aware of, of the meeting and I was, I was aware of, of, of this, uh, of the results of it. Well, so now we're in a spot where when this meeting happens in September and, and Brett is told, Hey, I can't iron all the contract. So if you want to go negotiate with WCW and see if you can get that same deal that you passed up on a year ago, by all means do. Now what's weird is Brett is the current world champion at the time. And we're, we're starting to build towards, of course, survivor series. And that's what we're going to get to, but. Were you concerned when, when you knew that the chairman was having this conversation with Brett and he was the champion, did you think maybe he should have gotten the belt off him before he had that conversation? That was brought up, but it, it, you know, it, 
fence in those days, and and I, I he probably still is. I mean, you know, we we build out a program that's lasting to to a certain certain blow off, and that that was built up. But Vince had taken Brett. Brett is such a professional that you know we didn't figure that there'd be any issues with it and everything. So. Uh, I, I, in hindsight, it's easy to look back and say, yeah, we should have taken it from him before we ever, we ever got in that situation, but, but we didn't. And, and, you know, it all came down to what it came down to. So before we get there, I do want to ask about the whole idea of this relationship with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart becoming rather toxic. You know, these guys are going back and forth, you know, on the microphone in front of the camera and even behind the scenes. And I think there was a concern about maybe what the finish was going to be and how we navigate this with these two big personalities. And as the story goes, I think Jim Cornette has claimed that he was the one who said to Vince, well, you should just put Brett in the ring with Ken Shamrock and then he'll do business. Is that the way you remember it? That, Hey, if we can't, Maybe we can lead the horse to water, but we can't make him drink, but maybe Ken Shamrock could make him drink. Is that the way you remember hearing that? Yeah, I remember hearing that, but you know, I, I didn't really describe it the same. I, I, you know, the whole thing was Brett, Brett, and I'm, I'm not speaking in Brett, but just from hearsay, I'm uh, once again, that word allegedly just from, from what I'd been hearing, you know, Brett, Brett didn't want to drop the title. I mean, for some reason. And, and I just can't understand that issue. Several people were brought up, you know, uh, Shamrock, sure. Shamrock can, can take it, but Brett would know something, something was going on you know, and, and, and Undertaker, well, he could put me with him and I'm sure he would have done it. You know, he wouldn't have done it in Montreal or he wouldn't have done it anywhere else. It could would have take or taking him. I'm sure he would have, but you know, that's not, that, that wasn't the issue. The issue was Vince had a program built out Cornette and all of Bruce and all those guys that were doing the, the creative at the time. My, my job at the time was handling the, uh, the agents and, and handling the live shows and things like that. So I wasn't really in every TV creative meeting. Uh, they're right on that. I wasn't in a lot of those creative meetings, but, uh, I had, uh, because I was doing, we were running nightly house shows at the time. So I was daily talking to Vince, you know, giving him house show reports and all that stuff. And he'd call me uh, after we get a, get a, uh, a report. And the, the, I, I just digress a little bit from that. I remember Vince, you know, when, when, when he was making that, that offer and, and it, it, it was a complicated offer and it was complicated for, for, for Brett to accept it, but it was a sweetheart deal on Brett's side. So I think he finally realized that and accepted it, but Cornette, Cornette said, Cornette did offer different things, but that wasn't the program we had going and Shamrock and, and, and Brett wouldn't have had the same buy rate as Brett and Sean. So that was kind of a business decision too, about switching opponents. So let's talk about, um, who knew and who didn't know, you know, as the story goes, uh, you were asked to go talk to Sean the night before and show him a thing or two in case he needed to protect himself. Is that a real story or is that just a telephone telegram, tele wrestler? 
Well, I, I heard Jr. say he didn't think it was possible. You know, and then Jr.'s right. He, I, you can't teach a guy how to defend a self in, in a couple hour session. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to take you back. I'm going to start from, from the beginning. The night before on Saturday, on on uh, on on Friday before I left for Montreal, I left on Saturday, and uh, and we had our media, our post, uh, our pre-production meeting on on Saturday. But on Sunday, I got on uh, Friday, I think it was, I got a call from Vince, and Vince had uh, had gotten kind of word that Brett wasn't going to drop the title, and uh, wanted to come up with with deals, and I I basically did the same thing everybody else did, suggested other people. That's not our program, you know. We can't do it. And then at the last minute, you know, if we'd slipped a ringer in there, Brett would have known what was going on and might have walked out of the ring. And as you've heard a million times, uh, Vince's number one slogan, number one marching uh, mantra is get the match in the ring. Yep. Do what you got to do, but get the match in the ring. And so that's what we were concerned about is giving the people what they were paying for and actually giving the people what they wanted. So uh, I made the trip up to... Uh, up to Montreal, as we all did, to, for a pre-production meeting on Saturday night. There's the the usual group of suspects in there from uh, from Vance, Kevin, Don, uh, the TV uh, uh, producer, and uh, J.R. Cornett, uh, Bruce, and uh, and all the agents that was working that show. Pat and everything. And Pat was assigned the, the, as he usually was the Brett and Sean match because Pat was a great uh, negotiator with these two uh, kids. They both had the utmost respect for Pat, so Pat Pat usually handled that match. So we went through the uh, through all the list of deals, and I thought we were going to be on uh, on uh, video here too. So I even wore a uh, Survivor Series shirt and uh, and uh, and have my run sheet from 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 the from that particular uh, uh, Survivor Series. So we ran through all the deals, and we got to the last match. And everybody was kind of waited with the old uh, bated breath, you know, to see exactly what we we're going to do. And, uh, you know, I didn't have time because Vince got, uh, got to Montreal late as he usually does. And, uh, and by the way, I had to wait for another billionaire to get on this call and ran me 30 minutes late, but I'm used to dealing, dealing with you, you type of people there. So we had a production meeting. We got down to that last match. Last match, Bret Hart versus uh, Shawn Michaels for the for the for the title, and so uh, Vance looked at us, said, "To be determined." Meeting adjourned, mm. and we all got, "Wow, you know what's going on? What's going on?" Well, you know, and of course, a couple of hands go up. I ain't mind doing well. Do we have any idea what we're doing? Yeah, but we 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 need to we need to run about talent first. You know, it's just kind of. And Vince looked at me, by the way, Briscoe, uh, do you mind staying a little bit after the meeting? I want to have a, a little talk with you. And I think, oh, wow. All of a sudden, you know, I start thinking, well, what the hell have I done? You know, I'm going to get fired. You know, uh, you know, I'm thinking the worst because the boss wants to talk to me after a three-hour production meeting. You know, what can it be? What did I do? You know, I'm, I'm thinking the world's worst, you know, that, you know, I've done something. And because of Bruce's influence on me and got, got in trouble and, and going to get fired over it. So I'm sitting there thinking everybody walks out of the, out of the room. So our conference room we had 
was a real big one of those uh, hotel uh, ballroom type deals, and has a bathroom down there. And so Vince gets up after everybody leaves. There's two doors to it. He goes to one door. And he, I see him lock that damn door. He goes to the other door. I see him lock that door. And I'm thinking, what the hell are we going to get in a fight here? Too. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder what, what he wants to do with, with me. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it's a little different. Uh, routine than what usually happens then there's a bathroom towards the back he walks all the way to the back of the room opens the bathroom door looks and closes it you know just to look to see if anybody there and then finally he comes down and he sits down next to me he said we have a situation here that 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 uh i kind of filled you in a, a little bit on on uh on friday night he said uh we're gonna have to uh have to uh, take the belt off of, uh, off of Brett tonight, and we're going to have to to do it our way. And I'm, I'm well, what what exactly do you mean? He said uh, he's not going to drop the title here in Canada. And so I'm like everybody else. I'm trying to come up with uh, immediate come up with with solutions because I've been th- thinking about it. We had Detroit coming a couple of days later, but. Uh, the word had got out that Brett wasn't going to do it there because, you know, it was uh, right across the river from Canada. Well, this this isn't the first time, and this is a story here, Conrad, that you're getting an exclusive at, uh, from, that this isn't the first time that Brett, Brett had refused to drop a title because his fans in Canada. We're over in Bahrain. Now, you know where Bahrain is? Uh, that little island right off Saudi Arabia, right? Okay. You know where it's at. Yes, right? sir. Yes, sir. So we're running an outdoor show there. It's kind of a, a bought show. We were doing, you know, we were selling our shows uh, to a lot of those sheiks over there back back in those days. I can this is probably the summer before this happened. So it's the same year. So we, uh, Brett, we'd, we'd had a tournament come down with Brett and Undertaker as the uh, as the main event, and it wasn't wasn't the title match. It was just a uh, uh, Bahrain tournament. We had a lot of we had a Kuwaiti tournament. We had all these different tournaments when we go to those those little countries over there. So uh, Brett said, "I'm not going to drop the t- I'm not going to drop the match here. I can't get beat here." And I'm thinking, man, we're in the middle of nowhere. And you know, I said, Brett, why aren't you? Why? Why? It's the Undertaker. He said, there's too many fans. And granted, there was a contingent of Canadian soldiers in attendance there. So he was right on that aspect. There was there was some Canadian soldiers, but most of the people were were native people there. So. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was overwhelming a maple flag flying everywhere, you know, right. so, and we're 10,000 miles away from anywhere, <laughs> you know, and back in those days, there was no social media or anything like that. So, uh, you know, what, what the hell? So, I uh, and this is early. So of course I made my phone call to Vince and Vince said, just get the match into the ring, you know. And Undertaker, I'd slipped the Undertaker when, when he came in. He kind of when he come, he kind of likes to know what he's going to do, so he can start developing a game plan in his head during the course of of, of the event there. And I've never told this story, like I said before, uh, being there, Connie. This is this is a scoop for you. So, so uh, you know, I, I 
after I talked to Vince, Vince said, uh, talk to Taker, and uh, you guys just get the match in the ring. Do what you got to do, but get it in the ring. Then, you know, it's the last night of the tour, and then get the hell out and come on home. We'll deal with it then. So I go over to Taker, and I sit down and Taker, and I tell Taker, you know, what what's going on. And Taker, like, he don't want to drop the title to me. I said, no. You don't want to drop it. There's too many Canadian fans there. And Taker looks at me with that face of Taker like and and a look of shock, you know, with those piercing eyes of his and scared me to the bone. I said, Well, what do you want to do? You're you're sure you can still get your hand raised. You will do do to do something. He said, The hell with it. I'll just put him more. So that that's the professional that that, that Taker is. So I go to Brett and I, I said, I, I, you know, I, I approached Taker, Brett, and uh, he, he, he's agreed to put you over. Well, he don't have to put, he don't have to let me pin him. I said, I put the sharpshooter on. I said, well, you're not going to put the sharpshooter on and you're going to pin him, you know? So, uh, so we worked out a deal to get the match in the ring for VKM. So that was my first example of Brett, you know, and this was really shocking. And then, and I, like I said, I'll probably piss some people off, but you know, I just really couldn't understand uh, Brett's attitude because he grew up, you know, of course, in a wrestling family. He grew up with a dad being a promoter in a territory that that's in the middle of nowhere, just kind of like we were in that damn Bahrain Island. There, you go to Calgary. That's a guy. You know, you freeze to death. Your car breaks down. The car freezes to death. It's a miserable place in the wintertime. It's a beautiful countryside, but it's a miserable place in the wintertime, as everybody knows. And so uh, I just think back, what would Stu Hart have done, you know, if his champion was leaving the territory and refused to put the next guy over? Actually, you're basically killing your territory. So, you know, to me, I had those same thoughts. You know, I, you know, owning uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and Florida Championship Wrestling, I was thinking, man, you know, this, what would what, what would happen? It would kill your territory if somebody left like that. So, uh, I, you know, coming from a wrestling family, I could not understand that attitude. I, and I still can't to that day. That's the one thing that still puzzled me. And men, Brad, are shaking hands, and we we speak to each other, more social with each other. But uh, you know, sometimes you know, you're just taught when you're brought up in the wrestling business. There's certain certain protocols that that the new word uh, to describe it. That that you know when when you get get a belt you're given that belt you don't win nothing. I, and I think that's where sometimes Brett kind of kind of lost focus of things. It was a work. He was given that belt. He was given that belt to carry it and, and enhance the prestige of the belt, which he did tremendously. No knock to Brett's work or his work ethic. He was one of the hardest workers in the ring and, and one of the finest workers in the ring. But that moment of lapse that he just started getting very selfish about himself, uh, you know, I just couldn't understand. So anyway, so, uh, Vince and I started talking and we, you know, we, we threw out several alternatives and every one of them, Vince kind of vetoed. He won't go for that. He won't go for that. He won't go for that. So, so I can't even remember a lot of, you know, DQ or, you know, somebody right there, you know, whatever we, we were coming up with alternatives. He said, the bottom line is we're going to have to figure out a finish. And, uh, and uh, and uh, and have the referee ring the bell. 
and he said, do you have any suggestions? And I know everybody in the moon, even including the man in the moon, has come up and said it was their ideal to put the <laughs> sharpshooter on and, and uh, you know, and uh, and have the referee ring the bell. I, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've heard the interviews say it was their, their suggestion. And, and an off-key, well, yeah, I was drinking with Bench, you know, on a 300-mile road trip when it come up, you know, 10 months before and, and I, well, hell, just put the sharpshooter on and make Brett give up. That, well, that We can do it that way. You know, I've heard all these stories. And everything. But that, that that never came up in our discussion until we started talking. And I, and Brett, you know, Brett it was a great uh, amateur wrestler in Canada. And, uh, and Sean had never really been physical in his life. And so, uh, so, uh, we nixed all the deals and everything. So uh, then said, well, Brett gets in about midnight tonight. I want you to go to his room and uh, and I want you to show Brett something that will protect him. And like I said earlier in this conversation, Con, uh, Conrad, that you can't teach a guy to protect himself in, in a matter of hours. You know, it, it, it's an attitude, number one, and it, it, it's a mindset. And Sean did not have that mindset. I'm not saying he didn't have the athletic ability. I'm just saying, you, you know, when you, when you go to hurt somebody, you, you got to have a, a bone in your body that allows you to go that far with another person, especially in our business where you're so used to giving up your body to people and crushing them. And Sean does not have that, that mean bone in his body. He's a nice guy with that, contrary to a lot of people's beliefs. And so, uh, so I said, okay, I'll meet with Sean and we'll come up with something and I'll let you know. So, and it was about 10:30 that time, so I, I I went to the front desk, and uh, you know, and like I said, we didn't have cell phones where we could communicate with each other. So I left a note at the front desk that said, "Very important when Shawn Michaels checks in, have him call me. I'll be at the I'll be at the bar, and have him call me in my and uh, at the bar and just uh, ring the bar and, and let him uh, let me know that he's there." And the guy said, "Okay." So a few hours later, about that, so I go and I meet up with uh, with Brother Bruce and uh, and whoever else is in the bar, and we start drinking. So I get a phone call about midnight, twelve twelve thirty, and it's Sean. He said, "Hey, I just checked in. I'm up in my room, so and so number." He said, "Do you want to come up for a while?" I said, "Yeah, I'll be up there in a second. So I hung up. And you know this is unusual for me to get a phone call, so, you know, in, at, at a bar and. Uh, so uh, Bruce looks at me. Where are you going? I said, oh, I, I just got to do something. You know, I just got a call. I got a call from home, and I I got I, I got to go do something. You know, but just making up an excuse. So uh, so I excused myself from the bar, and I went to Sean's room. My mission with Sean at that time, uh, Conrad, was not to teach him anything. Was but was to find out what he knew. You know, in case it, it it got physical and got scary at the end in the end of what we're doing. So we sat there, and he said, "We have any ideas?" I said, "The only thing I can come up with, Sean, is you know, you agree to whatever Brett wants to do to do to. If he wants to whatever, kick out of your 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 finishing move. You know, at two minutes in, into the match, 
you got to go for it. You just got to be very, very cooperative with him. You can't tip your hand in any way. But uh, the only way I can think of that we can get him in a position because he'll kick out on a cover. So no, no matter what you do to him, unless you knock him out with the ring belt or the belt, uh, uh, ring belt or the belt, you're not going to cover him for a three count because he'll kick out. So the only other way is to get a get a get a hold on him where we, where we can do a submission. Him. Earl Hebner had been assigned to Matt. I've known Baby Earl since he was Baby Earl since he was, you know, setting up the rings in Richmond, Virginia for for uh, Joe Murdick and the Crockett's. So I'd known him all of his career. Had a pretty good relationship with 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 the guy, and he, he was I consider him a friend. Him and him and uh, they both uh, uh, were good friends of mine. So uh, so he was he was he was the key to it. He said, uh, well. Uh, Brett and Earl are are tight, and they were very, very tight. I mean, uh, Brett took care of Earl all the time, I'm moving him up to first class seats and all that stuff. And as a, as as the legend goes, and I wasn't on the flight, so I can't uh, can't verify this story. But uh, the night before, as they were flying to Montreal, they were finishing up. A, I think with Detroit, they were finishing up that that road show, uh, road uh, to to the pay per view. So uh, Earl was sitting in the back of the plane. Of course, Brett sitting in the front of the plane. So uh, Brett buys Earl a first class seat so he could sit next to him. And on the plane, as the legend goes, and like I said, I can't verify this story because I wasn't there. And so that Brett, hey man, I you know I. You know, I'm a little worried about tomorrow. Can I have your word? You won't screw me. Well, I give you, I swear on my kids. So the story goes that Earl told Brett. So, you know, they had that bond. So, but, you know, I, it, it, so we, we come up with, with we, uh, uh, Sean Michaels and Brett had, a, had, had been having a series of matches. And during those series of matches, they both kicked out of each other finishing holds. So they already had a spot built into the match where that sharpshooter could go on. And uh, and so it was kind of easy from there. I said, well, well this is what we're going to have to do. So he and I come up with the deal. You know, and now, now my job is, uh, I got that taken care of. Now my job is to... Okay, we get to one, two, three. Now, Brett, is Brett going to attack you and kill you? Or is he going to attack, you know, whoever, whoever, uh, the referee and kill him? So I had to think about uh, Sean, you know, what what to do with Sean. So Sean said, I can't teach you. I mean, I can sit here and I can go through the motions. I can teach you how to how to snap his knee. And Brett had everybody. It was a common fact. Brett had bad knees. So that was my focus. You know, when you get in the fights, you look to, you look for the guy's weakest points. And I knew what Brett's weakest points were. It was his knees. He had no wheels on him, you know. <clears throat> or most wrestlers, your knees get shot. So, uh, so I said, uh, I said, you know, this this is the way we can we, you you can snap his knee. You know, you got to do a leg scissor, get him down, or drop him any way that you can. Just you know, are are you good at defending? You know, I said I'm gonna throw a couple of punches. I want to see you, you know, how you how you how you bob and weave and all that. Just the 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 deal was more for Sean's protection than it was to teach him anything. 
Cause I, like I said, I'm, I'm a great coach. I'm first to admit I'm a great coach, but I can't teach a guy in, in, in 30 minutes how to, how to, how to do the thing effectively when somebody's resisting you and fighting for their lives. Brad is a tough son of a bitch, and I knew Sean would be in trouble if there, there was a fight because as good a worker as Sean is, like I said before, I don't think he's mean enough. And then Sean had a track record, as as everybody knows, you know, getting the hell beat out of him in Syracuse by a bunch of soldiers. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a very good one-loss record in actual shoot fighting, you know, in other words. And so I was a little concerned about that. But now we now we have a game plan. So I finished the meeting. I went back to my room and I called Vance and I told Vance, I said, I think we got something. And I kind of laid it out to Vance and I said, Vance, I got to ask you a question. Now I'm a little, you know, I mean, I'm 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 old school, Conrad. I mean, and, you know, I'm I'm brought up to do the right thing in the business. This was weighing on me because this was something that. In my lifetime and in my career, I'd never seen done or never heard of it being done. And, you know, doing research later is all the all the research uh, 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 mode became available. You know, I, I saw where there was a couple other, you know, screw jobs like this. And I kind of relate back to 1973 when my brother was supposed to get the job belt from, um, from Dory Funk Jr. And it didn't happen you know, uh, with, with strange circumstances. So I could relate to what was going on there. So, uh, anyway, uh, I went back to the bar and Bruce said, where the hell you been so long? I said, no, I just, like I said, I had a phone call. And so we started drinking and I'm shocked because, you know, Bruce, Bruce likes to dig deep, you know, when it's something different out, out of the ordinary. And this was totally different out of the ordinary. So, uh, so uh, we sat there and we finished drinking, closed the bar down, and we we went our separate ways and went to our to our rooms. You know, got up the next morning and um, so I I asked I you know because this is a a fantastic weight where you believe it or not put on my shoulders, you know, to to do this to go against what I was brought up to believe about this business my entire career and my brother's entire career. I was a little, little nervous about doing it, but I still had a job to do. And I was, you know, I was kind of thinking selfish too. Well, Brett take this title down there. We'd already been stung before, you know, with Medusa and, and, uh, and Lex and all these guys leaving, you know, and Brett taking her title down. I didn't want to see that happen again because I had, you know, two kids I have to feed too. And so, um, I knew that would hurt, and we were struggling. We weren't. We weren't in the WWF. WWE wasn't in the best of financial shape at the time either. So it, you know, we'd all all already taken a huge pay cut, and so we'd, you know, the, all this is weighing on your mind, and you know, the 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 moral aspect, you know, whether it's right or wrong. And the more I thought about it, right or wrong, the more I thought about. It what would Stu Hart do if it was his territory and some, some American was claiming, you know, that close to the border, he couldn't drop the title. Well, Calgary's a hundred and some odd miles away from borders too close to the United States for me to drop a title. What, 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 what would Stu do? I mean, it, you know, he would probably done the same thing because it would have killed his territory if he'd let the guy take the belt. 
So I, I, my conscience started getting better, but I'm now I'm starting to think, <clears throat> when is the best time to, to approach Earl Hebner? Well, Hebners are great business guys. And so I, I kept putting it off, and all day long, Venter walked by me. And then, um, and this is, like I said, is a heavy weight because I couldn't share this with, with Pat. I couldn't share it with Bruce. I couldn't share it with Jr. I couldn't share it with any of my friends or any uh, anybody there, Jack Lanza or anybody that I was close to. This is something I had to carry all day long. And every time I'd walk by and see Brett, Brett would kind of look at me because Brett and I had a friendly relationship, working relationship, but we weren't really friends, you know. We were just kind of, you know, co-workers and, and, and acquaintances. So so I didn't have that, that relationship that I have with Bruce and Jr. and Pat and those guys. So uh, all day long, I'm trying to figure out when's the right time to, to, to talk to, to Earl. And so I, I is Earl going to do it because I know his friendship with Brett. So I went to Vance and I said, Vance, I started doubting whether Earl would do it. And so I went to Vance and I said, Vance, we're, I'm going to have to, because he made me swear I wouldn't tell anybody too. He said, you have problems with you? I got to share this with anybody. I said, well, who knows that I can talk to during the course of the day to try to get this off, off my chest. He's Kevin Dunn, the only other guy that knows what we're doing. <clears throat> well, Kevin spends the day in the truck. So I, you know, he's, not a guy that you go out and talk to because he's super busy you know, on a pay-per-view day, uh, getting everything lined up. So I had nobody to talk to. I had nobody to share, you know, to bounce things off of. It was just me and, and, uh, and, uh, and my thoughts. So, uh, you know, I said, well, I'm, I cannot do that. I cannot talk to Earl until he's ready to go to the ring. And so about, as the match is getting ready to go to the ring, Earl's getting ready to go in there, and I, I grabbed Earl by the uh, by the by the by the arm there, and I took him just a few steps away from the gorilla position there, where Bruce was sitting, and the Davy Boy and Owen was there, so I couldn't talk to him right in front of them because they would alert Brett somehow that you know Briscoe's talked to the referee, be will be aware of something. <coughs> so I took uh, uh, Baby Earl back in a little corner. And Earl did not want to do it. Earl was not going to do it. And I just started out laying black and white to him. You know, Earl, you have a mortgage on your house, right? You know, if some Brett takes this title down there, and like I said, we're not in the greatest uh, shape of financial anyway, we being WWF, we're not the greatest financial shape. Is he going to pay your mortgage when it comes to it? Is he going to pay your electric bill? You know, is he going to feed your family? You know, when he when he takes off and he's down there making, you know, billions of dollars, what, you know, what's going to happen to you if you if you refuse to do this and I got to replace you? I'd gone to Timmy White and asked Timmy to stand by just in case that we, I, I told Timmy, we might have a ref bump, so I might need you to stand by. And that's, that's kind of how I covered with Timmy, you know, to be on standby to referee the match just in case something happened. And Timmy, of course, being a company man, Timmy said, yeah, I'll be glad to, you know. And he said, I hope nothing happens. Uh, and I said, well, I do too, but, you know, I might need you as a standby. So 
Timmy was sitting over by Gorilla, too, waiting, you know, to see if he's going to have to go. So finally, I, I just got down to brass tack with Earl. I said, okay, Earl, you got to go to the damn ring. You got to tell me right now. I got Timmy Wyatt over there. That'll take your place. You know, if you refuse to do it and you walk out, you're probably finished here. Now, is Brett going to take you to WCW with you and get you a job down there? I I doubt it. I doubt if he'll take you down there. So you're kind of going to be out of the business as far as, you know, making major money with a major, major, major organization. He looks at me and he said, Briscoe, I wouldn't do this for any other guy but you. And he said, it's against my, my judgment. I said, it's against my judgment too, but it's the only choice that we have at this at this time uh, or also you got to do it or not we got to we got to go ahead he said i'll do it and i said as soon as you do that one two three and you'll know i want you to grab the belt hand it to uh to sean uh to sean and just get the hell out of there get out of that arena as quickly and as fast as you possibly can so i i know you're not familiar with um, uh, Montreal Maple Leaf Garden, but no. the, uh, the the uh, the arena is the floor above the parking deal, and it's a pain in the ass to get to the parking deal. You got to wait for this freight elevator. And everybody, you've been on freight. Everybody's been on freight elevator, and they take forever to do it. But there's a set of stairs that you can just there's a winding stairs you can go down that one floor and be down there in a, in a second. So during the course of the match, I said I went to uh, to Dave Dave Hebner. I said, Dave, you got the car, right? I said, yeah. I said, go ahead and grab your brother's uh, bag because you're going to be a real hot finish. That's, you know, and that's, that's uh, you know, the referee, I told you guys, say it's going to be a hot finish. So I go, I want Earl out of this building. And then and you got to go down those steps and you got to get out quick. And as you're going out, there's a little driveway, goes a little ramp that goes up out of the building onto the street. Well, usually, normally, as you know, both sides of that, that street is just packed by, by fans. And, you know, they're beating on your car hard at you and everything like that. So I want you I want you guys out of here in case, you know, it gets really, really steamy out there. And he said, no problem. So he grabbed the Earl's bag and he went down. He had the car all turned around, pulled out because it, it's a cluster down there trying to get your car out even. So, so uh, he went down and... Uh, and uh, and got the car ready, so the match takes place. So we we get to the point in the match. Vince decide. I tell Vince exactly how we're gonna we're gonna set this thing up, how it's set up. I mean, and Pat and and uh, I'd met with uh, uh, Brad and uh, and Sean the entire day, you know, working out this match, and they had a little finish figured out, you know, DQ or whatever it was, and. Uh, you know, a little smiles, a Pat Patterson smiles at the end of it. So uh, here it comes. So Vince decides, uh, just, you know, this was not an original plan, you know, for Vince to go out. But it worked out very good to show you how bright Vince was in a big picture after I laid it out to him what we were going to do. And so, uh, you know, just to have a, a, a fell safe there, for somebody else to ring the bell, you know, on, on, in that situation. And so we got into the course of the match and uh, I could, if you watch that match, you could see the, the coloration of Earl Hebner is not, it's it just snow white. It's not the usually usual face of, of Hebner in a match, you know, Hebner's usually, he's so professional. He's so relaxed out there, you know, you can't tell, but 
you know, watching it, knowing and rewatching it, you can kind of see Hebner's body language that, you know, something was coming down. <coughs> Excuse me. So anyway, uh, we were getting the course of the match. Here comes the sharpshooter. Ding, ding, ding. Ring the bell, ring the bell. And as soon as he puts the sharpshooter on, as they turn him over, Brett's kind of, you know, when you get turned over in a match, you, you still got to have your balance, even though you're on your belly. And, and Brett puts his hands down to kind of stabilize his balance from turning all the way over. As soon as that hand goes down, Hebner kind of looks over and kind of gestures. He doesn't really gesture, but Vince takes the signal and hollers, ring the bell. So they ring the bell. So, man, they let go of that deal. So you can watch Hebner. Hebner grabs that belt. He gives it to Sean, and he's gone. He's disappeared. He's down those stairs. He's out the building. He's gone. He's safe. So now my concern is getting Sean Michaels out of there. I'm at ringside. Just in case I got to go in and help Sean, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I ain't going to be on the losing end of it. I'll tell you that much. So, uh, I knew I might have to do something. So I grabbed Sean as soon as he gets awarded the deal. And I, and I, I completely forget, forget about Vince because my main focus is getting Sean to safety. Because cause Damian Owen is now in the ring with Brett, so I know he's okay to go out. So he's going out. We're walking out. Somebody asked me one time, what would you say to Sean on the way out? Because he, uh, the video showed me saying something to Sean. As you know, fans, when they get disgusted, especially up there in that in Montreal, they tend to throw stuff on you. I mean, that bottles, you don't know what it's urine, and you don't know what it is, but they'll they throw stuff on you, you know, and they, you know, spit on you, everything. Sean's walking on, he got that belt on. I said, so everybody said, what did you say to Sean? I have to Sean put that on most school, of course. I was always taught when you get heat and you, you know, put something over your head as you're hitting those exits because you don't know what they're throwing you know, at you. So I said, Sean, put the belt over your head. It wasn't a gloat or anything like that. It was just for his total protection. Yeah. <laughs> so I get Sean in the back and I pass him off to, to, to Hunter. So Hunter takes him down to the dressing room. And now my concern is, okay, I'm out there. Uh, Vince is out there. Well, I know Sarge and, uh, is out there. And Sarge is a pretty salty guy. I know he's, he's in good shape, but I still need to be out here. Greer's out there and, and um, just to kind of direct traffic because he, he was excellent at doing so I, I go out and we finally got, you know, the spit has already happened. And now Brett's going into tantrum, you know, tearing up. So I grab Vince. We, we go to the back. J.R. and King has already vacated. One watch Brett had hit over by them, starts throwing stuff. They vacate. We have, we have a dressing room back in the back. We've been advanced as a little, little, uh, 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 cubicle off to the side there was two door, two basically two dressing rooms that, that are like adjoining rooms. And so I, JR and one of them, and we're all getting the back. Finally, I get bent back there and I go and I lock all the doors. Well, I see Taker walking down the hallway towards Vince's office, I, but I lock all the damn doors because I, I don't know the guy's attitude at that time because we'd just done something that had been done in the business in a long time. So we're in there and Vince and I, and Devin, to Vince's credit, I mean, he, he could, he could foresee a, a lot of stuff that, 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 I, that my mind 
wasn't wasn't broad enough to see because I was focused on on what I was assigned to do. But uh, uh, we had talked the night before. You know the repercussions. You know you're going to have to address. We we we'd already knew we were going to have to address the crew after 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 what happened. The ones of it, and to show you how smooth this thing went, went went, Conrad. During the course of the match, you know you weren't required to stay. You know because everybody we had the next day was Ottawa. We had a long ass drive, you know, four hour drive to Ottawa the next day. So. Uh, a lot of the guys had already left the dressing room, so it was just basically friends of Brett and family of Brett and uh, and you know, uh, and Sean's group that that was uh, still around. And so, uh, so like I said, I passed uh, passed uh, passed uh, Sean off to Triple H, went out and got Vance, and I took Vance, and Jr. was already in the dressing room, so I locked the door. Didn't tell us all, and I saw I heard the Undertaker pounding on the door. Let me in. I, that Mark will be out in a little bit. And I didn't need to talk to Vince. I said, I know we all do. So I said, well, I promise you we'll be out in a minute. So he turned around. He goes back to um, to to the main locker room because he's going to police the locker room. Because Sean, Sean is sitting in the same dressing room with, with Brett. You know, they were dressing in the same damn dressing room. So, so uh so uh, okay, what are we gonna do? And 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 I I I told told Jr. I said you go in that back room there, Vince's room. There's a bathroom in there. You can lock. I said go in there and lock the door, and you don't unlock these doors for anybody. As soon as we step out of this this room, I want you to lock the doors and don't open for anybody. I don't care who it is, the police or anybody. Make them break down the damn door, but don't unlock the door. I don't want you. I didn't want Jr. involved because Jr. was head of talent. Yep. JR did not did not have an an ounce of of knowledge on what was going on. So I wanted to dispel that rumor that JR knew. You know, he's had a talent, but he didn't have uh, an IO. Nobody knew except Kevin Dunn and, and Triple H, myself and Vince. And so nobody knew. So uh, so JR said, okay, he was he was scared to death, and I don't blame him because you know the finger's gonna be pointing towards JR because he's had a talent relation, you know. So, so I tell Bruce, Bruce, there might be trouble there, and you know, Bruce, uh, uh, big old Bruce, he likes to wear those fancy Rolex watches, and I said, <laughs> Bruce, we're gonna go to the back, we're gonna face Brett, and he said, do you think of trouble? I said, there very well could be. So he he don't want his Rolex, you know, that's the most valuable thing that he wears on him. So he takes off his Rolex and he walks over, puts it in his bag, and. Uh, as as we go out the room now, it's me, Bruce, and Vince. We're headed to uh, back to the back to the dressing room for the showdown. Now, now we're to the showdown. Now, do you have anything you want to ask me? I know I'm long winded. No, listen, we can pick. This is great stuff. Later, keep doing your thing. Okay, so. Anyway, I, we were locked, I had Jr. as soon as we walk out the door, I have Jr. lock herself in the dressing room. Of course, people are pounding on the door wanting that. And, you know, uh, every, everybody comes to the door wanting that. So Brad had come to events, and, you know, we wasn't opening the door for Brad at that time. We, you know, wanted him to go to the locker room first. And so, uh, so as we go out, Taker's standing there, and he said, Vince, you need to go down and talk to him. Well, Vince and I had talked to uh, – talked about you know the repercussion you know we spit him face and i i didn't i didn't think brett would would hit vince 
And I said, you know, Vince, there's a possibility that, that he's going he's gonna to hit you. And I said, you can't fight back. You just got to stand there like a man, and you got to take a punch. You got to take one for the for the team, so to say. You got you got a day. So I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> and I said, well, you got no choice, Vince. You kind of got to just stand there and let the guy have throw his best punch on you. And he and he kind of shook his head. He said, okay. But okay, now here's another wild card that that my old feeble mind had to overlook. Shane old McMahon. Mm-hmm. What? And you you've been around Shane. He's a he's a wild card. You know, you talk about a loose cannon. You know, Feldman had nothing <laughs> on that. On Shane McMahon. I mean, and you know, and they're standing there and seeing your dad get cussed out. You know, like a. Like a, like a, you know, like nobody ever done before, you know, how's Shane O going to react to this, this thing? Is he going to want to fight Brett? Most likely he would have. So I took the biggest guy I had, which was Sergeant Slaughter. I said, Sarge, your deal is to stand right next to Shane O. And if he starts even flinching, you grab him by the waist and you get him the hell out of there because we can't allow it to happen. So Vince was prepared to take a punch. This is the part that I'm gonna piss people off, and I'm gonna I'm gonna upset Brad after after all of our our good deals. So uh, Sarge agrees to a to a babysit Shano for me. So it's basically me, Vince, and Bruce kind of standing there in a little semicircle to herself while Brad is, is is getting ready to go to the shower. Of course, when we come in. Taker ushered everybody, and I appreciate that from Taker. And I, he wasn't asked to do it, or it's just instinct with him. But he wanted every, he told everybody, get the hell out of the dressing room, including Shamrock, I think, and a couple other pretty tough guys. Get the hell out of here. This is this is private. I mean, no, nobody that's not involved that needs to be here. Davey and Owen, of course, were left in there, and and Hunter and and uh, and Sean, of course, were there. And when we walked in. Uh, Brett and Sean were actually talking, and as soon as Brett saw uh, Vance, of course, his attention went on him, and he started cussing Vance out, telling Vance off, and he said, I'm going to go in the shower, I'm going to shower off, and if you're still in here, when I get out of here, I'm going to knock the hell out of you. And uh, and so, uh, uh, well, okay. So now Shane, I look over Shane, and he's starting to bow up, and I kind of give the nod to the sarge you know kind of get in front of him and hold him back so brett goes in the shower while brett is showering vince is explaining to the other 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 talent in the room exactly what went down and why it had to go down like it did well sure enough brett got out of the shower he dried off i mean it's just kind of like watching a movie being filmed here so you know you're waiting for the big showdown the shootout at that high noon and it's getting ready to come and there the town is anticipating it so you know everybody's feathers are kind of rumpled up and you know getting ready to choose sides you know who's gonna who's gonna do what so uh and you you got to give it to Vince, and this is where I get pissed off when I hear Brett's description of it. You know, I mean, he come over and he told Vince, Vince, I told you if you're still here when I got out of the shower, I'm gonna knock the hell out of you. I give you one more chance to leave. And and Vince said, Brett, I'm sorry it had to happen like this, but it happened at that time. Vince's hands were down at his side, 
here's a man, what, 13 years older than, than this world-class athlete and uh, standing there facing him, you know, with, with his head up and not, not trying to cower out of anything. And Brett said, Vince, I'm going to punch the hell out of him. And Brett threw one of these punches. It was a big roundhouse. And it, it, he said there was a group of guys. But like I said, it was only Bruce and I. And, and neither one of us was trying to block, block the punch. Because Vincent told me he was he was willing to take it, but that take one was all he was going to take, and that's that's really all it took. So Brett reared back, and he punched Vince, and Vince went down. And Brett, in fact, likes to brag, well, hell, I punched him, and I punched his lights out. He went down like a sack of potatoes. Well, you know what, Conrad, you could punch you could punch me if I'm standing there with my hands to my side and you know and and nail it and hit me with a good punch without me trying to defend it or turning my head or anything like that to kind of to lessen the blow but Vince took it head on and he went down Vince wasn't out cold but he went down like a like a tree with a chainsaw I mean he would plop and in and in, in, in those hockey dressing rooms you know, they have those damn pallets there that are, that are hard, you know, unless you're in skates or hard to walk on, you know, and you, you move pretty quick unless you, you know, you hit, you hit the board on those pallets, you're going to fall through and turn. This is the funny part of it. Vince still blames it for me. Now, you know, knee, Vince had a, a knee operation a few years later. It was from that. It was from the scrum after he went down. Of course, Vince said, I'll take one punch. So I was, as soon as Vince hit hit that floor, I was on top of him, you know, covering him because I wasn't going to let Brett get a second punch in. You know, there's no way in hell I was going to let uh, let him get a second punch in. And so, so uh, I grabbed Vince and I kind of pushed Brett off to the side there uh, as well as I could, along with uh, with uh, with everybody else that was standing there. We could, you know, just get Brett away, get some distance there. He had already done his damage, so. We got up and Vince was in, in, in La La Land. I mean, he was, you know, his eyes were spinning around. He'd been punched in a temple, you know, and he, like I said, he's 11, 13 years older than, than Brett. And he went down. Brett did throw a damn good punch, but he threw it. That's like shooting an unarmed man, as far as I'm concerned. You know, it was a, it wasn't a sucker punch because he knew it was coming. So, but it was, it was an undefended punch, and 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 Vince went down. Brett is a hundred percent right on that, but you know, he, you know, if you can't knock a man down, you know, with your best punch when it, when it's uncontested, then you know you're not very strong. But so it, Brett showed he was strong. So we get Vince up, and he's he's kind of uh, and overcomes Shane. By now, Shane has joined, and after, after, after we're we're helping. Because we didn't know if Davy Boy and Owen were going to get in that scrum and start punching and kicking, so so they did. And it was between Brett and Vince, and I left it at that, and the, and the guys I had protecting Vince left it at that. So this was this was something that we anticipated, and it's something Vince told me, uh, you know. Uh, that night, he said, if I get punched, only allow one punch. So I gave him my word. That's all I was going to allow. And that's all I would have allowed, you know? So uh, we gave him his, his, his payback there. He could punch Vance out. So we got Vance out. Now we got to make this walk from the dressing room, which Connie is all the way at one end of, uh, Maple Leaf garden. We had to walk out the door by then the, the hallway 
is lined with all of Brett's entire family. We're getting spit on. We're getting cussed out. I mean, we're getting everything. And I got to give Taker some more credit here. He kind of he kind of calmed the 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 masses down. The the, the people with the pitchforks and lanterns getting ready to to, to 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 take us to the to the to the big oak tree out back there. He he was pushing them out, kind of cleared a path, and we went back to uh, Vince's locker room. We kind of doctored Vince and what we had to doctor him up with, and uh, he had a big whelp on the side of his, a big lump on the side of his, his head where Brett had, had coat cocked him. And uh, we now we got to get in the car and we got to drive out of that damn building where these hostile people are waiting on us over to the Marriott Hotel, which is about two blocks away from us, where the where we are all staying. And so, you know, that night. Uh, you know, we're sitting in a limousine. It's Vince, myself, uh, Jr. And all this time, you know, people are pounding on Jr. dressing room. We wasn't letting them in. We had even had trouble. Jr. It's me. Open the damn door. Okay. Oh, give me a password. Boomer sooner or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> That's bullshit there. I just thought, I thought Jr. would like that. So anyway, uh, so uh, he lets us in. We go in. We dock him. Now we got to get in that lim- limousine. So. People know we're the only people, uh, Vince is the only one that's got a limousine. So we're going out of that, at, at, at damn marina. And like I was describing with hemorrhage out, you got to go down that ramp and then go up that ramp and you're on the main street and you turn, uh, uh, to the left for the, for the hotel. So, but the people were lying for blocks and blocks and blocks, all the way to the hotel. People were lying in the streets. We had no police escort. We didn't have, you know, nowadays we would have, you know, the entire Montreal Canadian Mounted Police there, you know, regarding uh, guard the streets for us. But back in that time, uh, we didn't have the power and we didn't have the money. So it was just us and that limousine and, and the fans. And they're trying to turn over. They're trying to break the limousine windows. They're trying to turn turn the damn limousine over. Finally, we get to the Marriott where there is some security there. So they kind of clear a path for us. Of course, we had already been checked in the night before. So we all run, we all go to a room. I don't like to say run to a room. We all go to a room. You listen to the cuss words, ducking the spit, ducking the, the, the water bottles and everything else that's thrown at us. We go upstairs. Well, duh, Shane McMahon called me and I was, duh, I think it's wise if we don't go to the bar tonight. I'm saying, really, Shane? <laughs> I'm leaving my damn room, you know. Even when I called room service, Vance called me. He said, you hungry? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm going to order room service. I said, how are you feeling? And he said, man, my head hurts like that. I said, Vance, you took a hell of a bump. And, you know, I said, you all right? You need you need us to call a doctor or anything? Check out. No, man, I'll be all right. You know, see you in Ottawa in the morning. So, so anyway, Shane calls and said, I advise everybody not, not to go out, you know, and, and they're uh, – and to the bar tonight or go out, go out of the hotel. Cause it's pretty hostile out there. So, you know, of course I, I, I know that. So I, I didn't plan on going anywhere. So, you know, I call the desk of my, my phone is ringing off the damn hook. I mean, just ring off the hook. So I call the desk and I said, Hey, only, only call I'm taking right now is from, uh, Vince McMahon. And that's it. Anybody else call my room? I'm, I'm, I'm checked out. I'm not here. So they said, okay. So, so, uh, 
you know, I, my room service came, and believe me, when that room service come, I did, I, I did look through that Pico to make sure it was the, was the room service guy. So I let him in, so I ate dinner in, in the room, and I, like I said, I, I wasn't taking any calls. And me and Jr. and Bruce and Pat, this is pre, uh, pre-jet days and pre-corporate limos and all that bullshit that, that, that they have now. So we're having to drive a three-hour drive over to, uh, to, to Ottawa. So that, that's kind of, and that was an interesting uh, story, too. I can go on, but I think I've used up my allotted time. But, uh, <laughs> but. No, man, listen, we, we appreciate this context. You've never really told your story, not in, you know, not to this detail. I do want to ask, you were really close with Pat Patterson. Obviously, he was really close with both Brett and Sean. He did not know. You did know. Did it affect y'all's friendship? Was he upset with you? Well, I'm going to get into that with part two here. Come on up if you'll allow me a couple extra minutes. Sure. Please do. No. All right. So now, now the next morning, we still got a job. To do. We got to film day two of TV, you know, actually day one of TV. We just did a pay-per-view. So we had to film, film another day of TV and that's three hour drive. <coughs> There's four of us in the car and the four of us in the car, only one new the the story the whole story what was going on and that was me so i'm keeping my mouth shut i think that day for some reason bruce is the world's most horrible driver as you probably know yep. he's driving uh jr sitting next to him me and pat are in the back seat so uh we get in the car not a word is that we set the you know the, the standard time like we do every, every every trip you know okay meet down in the lobby at such and such time well we we instead of leaving regular time we we elected to leave about a half hour early just kind of just break the routine just in case there's trouble down there and there would be less people there so we met down there about a half hour early. We skipped breakfast, didn't go to breakfast or anything like that. So we're headed out of town. And Connie, I got to tell you, man, that we get in that car and it's like you're at a funeral service. There isn't a breath or a word uttered. Everybody's kind of just holding their breath to see who's going to be the first one who says anything. Nobody's saying a thing. Everybody's kind of, you know. So we were getting out, as you know, uh, up in Canada, they got they got a great, great, great uh, place called Tim Horners. We all like Tim Horners. I love their bear claws. Have you ever tried a Tim Horner bear claw? I have not. We don't have those in Alabama. Well, we don't have them in Florida, but if you ever wander adventure and you see a Tim Horner, you got to eat yourself a bear claw. You'll probably have, have them flown down every holiday <laughs> for you. So, so anyway, I said, hey, man, let's pull over and get, get Tim Horner's, and I don't drink coffee. And I said, you get, you get a Tim Horner's, and I get a Diet Coke. Nobody said a damn word. It's like silence in a word. So we pull over. We go in Tim Horner's. I get my bear claw. I get my Diet Coke. And Bruce gets his Diet Coke and three or four uh, bear claws. JR gets his coffee, and Pat gets his coffee, and we go back, and we get in the car. We're going, we're about an hour into the trip. Still, nobody said a damn word. And finally, Jr. speaks up. I didn't know nothing about this stuff. Did you guys know him? Pat, 
Well, I did the math, and you know, and Pat Zapranczak said, you know, I didn't know nothing. I'm so pissed off. I'm so hurt. I know I didn't know nothing. How can I even, how can I even face Brett or Sean on this thing? You know, going into just raving. Hey, look at Bruce. Bruce said, I know nothing. And now it comes my turn to pass up. These are my ever-loving best friends, Connie, that I'm riding with, you know, and I, my mama raised me to tell the truth, so it got to my turn, and I, I said, hey, Briscoe, did you know? I said, I got to admit, I knew. And, well, boy, when I said that, I thought I was in an in, in old coliseum where they just uh, let the lions out, you know, to devour the, the gladiators out, out in the coliseum floor there. And so uh, the question started, well, why didn't you tell? Why didn't I, well, hey, man, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't tell anybody. And I think uh, Jr. was hurt more than he was pissed off at me. Of course, Bruce was pissed off because, as you know, Bruce got to know everything or it don't happen, you know, unless Bruce knows it, you know. And Pat, Pat was just heartbroken that he didn't know because it was his match. And I had asked Vince the night before. I'll, I'll digress a little bit. I asked Vince the night, Vince, why are you asking me to do this? And he looked at me right in the eyes. He said, Gerald, you're the only one I can trust to do it 100%. I can't go to Pat. Even though I trust Pat with everything, Pat would break under the pressure because he's such good friends with, with Brett. And he wouldn't want any heat with Brett, so he would he would he would uh, he would crack under the pressure. And so, uh, and he said, uh, Jr. I said, Jr.'s had a talent. I don't I don't want him. Vince was protecting Jr. Yeah. And he said, uh, I don't want Jr. to do it because he's had a talent, and I don't want all the heat on him. He said, I know you can handle the heat, and I know you'll get it done the right way. And that that kind of gave me the the confidence to do it the right way. So I kind of explained, you know, I said, if you guys remember after the produ uh, production being events asked me to stay and Bruce said, I thought that was kind of weird. And he said, Oh, by the way, where did you go at midnight? And I said, I went to Sean's room to talk to Sean about what we we're going to do tonight. And you came back and you came back and you didn't tell me nothing. I said, uh, Bruce, I couldn't. I was, Vince asked me not to tell anybody. And there's something that I didn't think needed to be, be told in a bar room setting. We're in right. a bar drinking. And what you told me, you know, we could have come to my room. I said, Bruce, I said, I asked not to t share it with anybody. And it's something that I didn't want to get out because if leaked, it'd been my fault and I'd probably lost my job. And I said, I just wasn't going to tell anybody. So now they're all three of them are pissed off at me. And now it goes to silence again. So we're getting close to Ottawa. We're getting ready to pull up in the Ottawa building. And uh, JR says something to start the conversation. Well, well, you know, facing this town, it's going to be brutal. And uh, as soon as we walked in, we got word that, of course, Mick Foley wasn't, wasn't going to come to TV. And several others have had threatened not to come to TV. And uh, But, you know, being professionals, everybody showed up. And I'm not saying Mick's not a professional because he was he was he was he was doing what he thought was the right thing to do. And I can't ever blame anybody for doing what they feel is the right thing. So, so it's, it's all but forgiven with Mick. So we just wanted him back. So, so we, uh, Vince, Vince, I think it was Taker that, that came to, came to the answer to Vince. You're going to have to have a meeting with, with the entire talent roster that's here for TV today. And at that time, we, everybody came to, to all the TVs. So, 
we had the meeting. Of course, Brett is gone. So and the meeting, some of the uh, you know it's to the talent too. So Vince Vince gets up there. Vince calls me into his office uh, in Ottawa and says, "Hey, I got to get up and I got to tell him the plan." He said, "I can or I cannot use your name. It's up to you. Do you do you want do you want me to to say that?" You were you were you were the one that I said. Vince, do whatever you have to do at at the business, and um, and 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 I I got you know I I got, sooner or later I'm gonna have to face it. And I'd rather come from you than come from me. You know, like I'm trying to jump on the bandwagon on what happened there. So he got up in the meeting and he he, he kind of laid out the whole thing why it had to happen. You know, Brett didn't want we didn't want another incident where we're uh, we're losing the championship belt and it gets thrown in the garbage, which I, I highly doubt that Brett would do something like that. You know, throw the throw, throw the belt because he got too much of an ego and too much pride to kind of uh, throw the throw, throw the damn thing away. So we had to do what, and I couldn't have done any of this if it hadn't been for, for Gerald Briscoe. And all of a sudden, every eyeball in the room turned back and looked at me, mm. you know. And you know what, Connie? I just took a, wow, it's out now. So I walked out of the room immediately. And, and I, I, I to this day, I, I just owe these guys so much. The only two guys that really walked out with me to kind of stay around me was Triple H and Kevin Nash. They both were like, like stuck to me like glue and i i gotta admit i i i emotionally broke down when i got out of that room Wait, who else was there and kevin I nash said, was in wcw at the time so it was hunter and who else okay what uh, uh, sean yeah yeah, sean. yeah 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 Kevin was gone it was, it was, uh, it was hunter and sean they walked out with me and uh and uh and i was i was so emotional i, I broke down i mean i i, I bawled for like minutes i mean it was just that much you know emotion and uh nervousness and just anticipation built up into me just to get it out i felt so much better and those two guys i gotta tell them man they they they, they stuck by my side all day long because after it was out you know of course they're not gonna pick on vents they're not gonna jump on Vince, you know, for something, it's going to be me. It's going to be my fault, you know, and Brett had a lot of friends, uh, as you know. And so, but they stuck with me and I made sure I made it through the day. Okay. And I, I never will forget, uh, you know, the help that, that Paul and, and, and Sean gave me that day emotionally and, and just, just knowing that they were at my side and, and, you know, watching out after me because I didn't know, you know, I mean, I can certainly take care of myself, but you know, two or three guys jumpy, you never know what's going to happen. And we didn't know what was going to happen. So that's kind of the day and the day went through. It was a stressful day. And that night, uh, the four of us got in the car and went, uh, we're flying out of Ottawa. So we didn't make the trip back to Montreal. So we were able to finally, you know, have a beer and sit down and kind of, we never did laugh about it or joke about it, but we were able to kind of, the four of us were kind of able to come back together and kind of see each other's point of view. And then they were able to see why I had to keep it close to my vest for that, that 36, 48 hours. That, that, that. It was one of the most stressful times in my life, but I got I got to admit it. Uh, uh, the boss took care of me on that, on that payoff. I was nearly <laughs> choked in my, in my, in my, in my 
receipt when I opened up that envelope and saw the number of zeros on my, on my check. So, uh, uh, you know, but it was, I thought I earned every penny of it, tell you the truth. But I called him and I thanked him and he thanked me again. And he said, you know, we'll forever be blamed for changing business. I said, man, we did the right thing, you know. And the first thing I did when I got home was to go uh, straight to my brother and cause by then the, you know, the body shop number was pretty well known, you know, uh, with the, you know, Bristol brothers body shop, uh, shirt that I wore all the time. We had, that was the actual body shop number. So people were calling the body shop. My partner wanted to know cause the phones were blowing up and, I, and we were getting called. Even people answering the phone at the body shop were getting called every name in the book. And some of them, they couldn't understand cause they were French accent. So they knew they were coming from Canada. So about a week there, we were harassed at the shop just unmercifully. And my, my partner, Travis, he, he was he pretty upset. He, I mean, you know, taking care of business and somebody called, they don't want to talk to the manager. You, know, you, you don't trust those damn briscoes. They'll screw you just like they did that screw heart. You know, you're a bunch of assholes to hang up on him. You know, so it was a pretty hectic time, even for a week or so afterwards. And, uh, but things started calming down, you know. After a while, and after we got back in a routine, but it was a it, it wasn't just a it wasn't a walk in the park uh, to say it, it was it was a it was a walk through hell for like forty eight hours. When did you finally get to talk to Brett and y'all bury the hatchet? I'm sure it was years later, but how did that happen? Um, well, you know what what I understand now because you know on the way out, as I was helping, I stopped. Uh, we were carrying Vance out. And I stopped. I kind of glanced over my shoulder, turned and looked at Brett just to make sure that he didn't have a chair or something like that and his hand coming toward us, you know, to finish us off. And he, we, we made eye contact right then. He said, Briscoe, you son of a bitch, you're next. And I'm thinking, well, come on. <laughs> you know, and there were no uh, uh, steps taken toward me. So I turned back and, and walked at that. Grab Vince's arm and walk walk Vince out and uh, keep him stable. So uh, uh, it was years and years and years. It would you know uh, Brett uh, one the first time Brett showed up was right the Hall of Fame when when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I, I you have to help on that. Uh, we didn't talk that whole weekend. You know, not not that whole weekend. It wasn't until the second time that he showed up and I, 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 I'm sorry, I can't put a date on that. I use my age as an excuse, but, uh, I can't, but the second time he showed up, I finally, you know, I've had enough of this, you know, walking in fear, you know, if he's going to bust me out and I'll tell you the truth, I was kind of hoping he'd see me in an airport in now because I would have sued him for all that damn WCW. <laughs> <laughs> So when you finally well, get second, to talk to him, how did it go? Well, the, 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 when we finally, it was the second time he showed up and then, you know, I would, I think he had had enough of the, the, uh, the, the, the carrying that, that carrying, carrying that, that kind of hatred around is a heavy load to carry for anybody. And he'd kind of made his amends with dance and even with Sean, it was after it was a deal at the time when he made his, his amends with Sean. After the show, I walked over to him and I, I stuck my hand out and I said, you can shake it if you want to, Brett, but you don't want to shake your hand and, you know, and just say, Hey man, 
you know, we all had did we all did what we had to do. We all did what the boss wanted us to do. So I'm sorry. I, I was doing my job just like you thought you were doing your job. I'm sorry. He looked up at me and he half hardly shook my hand. And uh, you know, that was kind of it until a few years after, even after that, when he came, I think, to Orlando for for WrestleMania or something. And we were kind of stuck in a line somewhere. And I just turned and just, he was with his wife. So I knew he'd be, you know, semi-polite to me. <laughs> and so I kind of turned to him and they, hell, we got to wait in line. You know, don't tell them they know who you are. And he kind of chuckled at it. We started laughing and it kind of broke the ice. And, 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 you know, we're not best of friends. We don't know how to call each other. We don't exchange Christmas cards or anything like that. But I like to think, you know, it, it's behind both of us, and and we 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 can see. We never ever said, yeah, he never really said he forgive me or anything like that. But just his body language wasn't as stiff and as uh, angry toward me as it had been in the past, and I could kind of tell that, you know, it was over uh, as far as the way he viewed me about it, and you know, and like I said, man, we're just doing our jobs. Of course, it's been a long time. Next year will be the 25th anniversary of this. If you had it to do over again, what would you do anything differently or would it happen the exact same way? Do you think? Well, if the situation was exactly the same way, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think we'd have any choice, but to do it the same way. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, we all look at, well, we should have done it earlier. We should have done it. You know, as soon as Vince said, I can't do the contract, the belt should have come off of him at that time there and, and hindsight. And, uh, you know, like all these people, uh, on, on these podcasts and two of them on your network say, you know, it could have been avoided. It couldn't have been avoided unless Bret Hart himself wanted, wanted it to be avoided. And, um, him taking that stance and that's what I'll say it again. That's one thing I've never understood is how he would have felt if it had happened to him in his dad territory, you know, with one of the talent, top talent there, you know? And so, uh, but, uh, I respect Brett. I think Brett was, was a great champion. I think Brett was a great asset to our, our business. I think Brett was a, a great, uh, great person to have carry that, that, that title during, during the time that our business was not doing good. He gave a real legitimacy to, to the title and he, he, he protected it like it was real and like, you know, like it, and it, you know, it's real, but what, you know what I mean? Like, it, you know, like an Olympic gold medal or something like that. He took a lot of pride being a champion, but Brett wasn't the, the perfect employee either. I mean, he'll tell you, I mean, you know, he'd show up at work when he wanted to show up, you know, you'd have meet greets planned and, uh, and his champion, you know, they, even from the Hogan's to the, to the warriors, to the savages, to, to everybody else, they were always there to do meet and greets. And then when you set up with meet and greet with, with Brett, you had to worry if he was going to be there on time, even when the show started, let alone to do a meet and greet. So he wasn't the greatest, you know, in, in, in lines of that. But he, when it came to that bell ringing and him going to the ring, he, he, he's, he's right up there with, with the top. I'm not going to say he's best there ever was, but he's right up there in, uh, on, on, in that top and uh, of, of, the, of the totem pole. 
Well, boys and girls, we greatly appreciate, uh, the time today, you know, with Mr. Briscoe. And if you enjoyed this as much as I did, I feel like we should mention you're doing this on a pretty regular basis, telling these old stories and you've got a tag team partner. Tell us about it. Well, thank you, uh, billionaire Connie for allowing uh, me to tell this, you know, you've been trying to take me, you, you, you've been, you've been throwing at Eric Bischoff. Well, what's Eric Bischoff got that Layfield and I don't have. I mean, uh, <laughs> besides probably a hundred thousand more followers, and, <laughs> but uh, we're getting there, but me and me and poor old, uh, John Layfield Bradshaw or whatever the hell is JBL. We're starting a little, little road story with Briscoe and Bradshaw. They're entertaining. We're, we're not out to to bury anybody. We we tell our guests, hey man, if you you want you want to shoot against somebody, I hate that word shoot interview. I, I, if I got to shoot uh, with somebody, it's not verbal and it's not long distance. I'm going to shoot with them face to face. So we don't we don't we are not looking for dirt. We're not looking for hatred. All we're looking for is to entertain our few listeners that we have out there with entertaining legendary road stories that, that like, like Stan Hansen running over the damn AWA, what is AWA uh, championship belt with a John Deere tractor. Hell, grandma got run over by a tractor, but Verge championship belt got run over by a John Deere. So they got that reindeer beat there. I got your beat ready, but we just tell funny stories and good old road stories, dressing room stories. And, uh, We've, we've got a list of who's who on our YouTube channel. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's our hall of fame. And what makes this so good? We get, we get our guests on there that we're not only fans of and JBL and I, you know, a lot of people think if you're in that business, you're not a fan, but you know, we all have our, fa- uh, our favorites and we're aware of our fans. JB and I, L and I come up in the old school system and all, all of our guests we have on, not only are, 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 are we friends with them, but we were fans of their work. And every one of them has a legendary story that needs to be told. And they're funny stories, and we try to tell them. And uh, we, try to, we try to leave our audience with, with a smile on their face and, and a good time. And, and we appreciate all the help that you've given us and all the exposure that you're giving us. But being there, Connie, JBL and I aren't afraid. <laughs> Well, man, I'm not afraid to hit the subscribe button. I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. Check it out. Briscoe and Bradshaw. This stories is uh, taking over, man. You can check it out on YouTube and we'll of course link it in the description of this show. We greatly appreciate your time today, man. I don't know what I expected, but dude, that was quite a story and, and a story from a version or, or an angle to the story we'd never heard. I don't think you've ever sort of spilled the beans like this in one sitting like this ever well, before. Well, you're, you're, you're exactly right. You know, and I, when, 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 uh, one of your stooges, uh, uh, stooge, uh, Dave Silva called me, he's number one. He's a Pat Patterson of, of your stooges there. I think, you know, he's not to Gerald Briscoe cause he's a Texan, you know? Right. Of course <laughs> okay. you would anyway. never be a Texan. I know that. Yeah. But when, when, when you guys called me and asked me if I want to do this, I said, man, this this is going to be a special interview with with billionaire con it's something i, I can't screw up and i have given a, a few uh readers digest versions of, of of the story but you have allowed me and, and and led me into uh some 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 deeper parts of the story that that i that i have not shared and and i appreciate that but 
one thing we're going to plug your little network too that you you've been helping me out on you know since i'm an unemployed guy you've been how you stepped up and, and gave me an opportunity with the great comedian taylor williamson to do monday mailbag you know uh with uh with uh taylor and uh we extremely enjoy it. I think we put smiles on faces because we, we tell some of these stories during the course of the Q&As. And, and then once again, your sued Silva gets a little pissed at us because we spend too much time uh, telling stories and not enough time uh, answering the questions. But we get to the questions, <laughs> but we add a little bit in between the questions there. So tell Silva to back off a little bit. I'll do it. Check it out. Taylor Williamson, you know, him from America's got talent, huge wrestling fan and a funny man himself. And, uh, he and Briscoe hook up every other week over at adfreeshows.com and do Monday mailbag where you get to pick Jerry's brain and ask him anything you'd like that happens over at adfreeshows.com. And right now, man, I just want to thank you for the time. This was, uh, outstanding and I look forward to hearing more from you real soon. Thanks for the time today. Real good, uh, Conrad. And thanks so much for allowing me to to get it. You you you, you can't believe it. It's it, it's always a relief to kind of tell this story, just to take a little bit more of that weight from you, because it's just something that, honestly, I've carried with me. You know, since what twenty five years. You're saying, wow. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, each time I say it, it's a it's a little bit lighter uh, burden that I'm carrying there, but. Uh, you know, as you asked, I do it all over again because I love this business. I love the, the, the wrestling business, the professional wrestling sports entertainment business. And, uh, the only way for it to, to, to grow and, 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 and survive is, is to get these stories out there and let, let people know, you know, that man, it all don't go according to, to script, you know, so keep watching and, and, and tune in to, uh, Tune in to Conrad Billionaire Connie's Empire, and uh, you'll be entertained. He's got, he's got a who's who guest uh, uh, every day on, on that thing. So thanks so much for allowing me to, to share my story. Thanks for the time, man. All right, guys. So that's going to do it. We greatly appreciate you taking this ride with us today. Who would have thought we could have gotten three hours out of a Montreal episode? But here we are, right? Here we are. We uh, really want to thank uh, Briscoe and Bradshaw one more time. Check them out at storiesonyoutube.com. That's storiesonyoutube.com. And of course, they both have uh, a Twitter handle that you should probably follow if you haven't already. Uh, John is at JC Layfield. And of course, Mr. Briscoe is at FG Briscoe. Uh, that's at FG Briscoe. Their new show, Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw, is so much fun. One more time, check it out stories on youtube.com and thank you guys for checking out something to wrestle. I uh, am sorry that we didn't get to deliver what I hoped would be a very fun episode about survivor series, 1996. We will be back to talk about that next week. I'm not going to let the opportunity go by without talking about that pay-per-view here. We are man, 25th anniversary of that. Uh, what an incredible match with Shawn Michaels and Sid and you get, you know, Bret Hart returning and he has a barn burner match with stone cold, Steve Austin. And oh, the undertaker comes back, but down from the ceiling with a totally new look. Oh, and the debut of the rock. It is such an important show in my fandom that I can't wait to talk to Bruce about it uh, next week here on the program. And Hey, as a heads up, Bruce is okay. I had some stuff going on this week, but we will be back in the saddle next week, but Boy, what an audible. Thanks again to Jerry Briscoe and of course, Mike Kyoto. Check them out at adfreeshows.com or stories on youtube.com. And we'll see you next week 
right here talking about Survivor Series 96 on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.